That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. B F F T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Canzano, here's Judah Newby with the bald faced truth. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. Bald Face Truth, BFT Radio Network. Newbie in for Kanzano on this fine Tuesday. Getting ever closer to the start of football season. Little college ball in the air. We got Jimbo missing four games. Everything's right with the world. Feels like July. Got Harbaugh having to sit out for a little bit. Is that a, even a punishment? We'll talk about it. We'll talk a little Beaver football here coming up this hour. Duck football as well. I was curious. I was driving in today, and this time of year, it always feels, you know, like college football is right around the corner. But I started to think about the schedules for the Beavers and the Ducks, and Stephen Vaughn sitting here with me, too. And, Stephen, I was thinking, what is your favorite month of college football? Because September gets the headlines. Season begins. You get the big primetime non-conference games, but you also get those vanilla cupcake non-con games that don't mean anything. Sometimes it's 90 degrees outside, depending on where you're playing. Terrible, uh, terrible heat. October, you know, you start to feel like you have a sense of who is going to have to be taken seriously. You get some big games in October, obviously. You get conference plays in You know, full force. November rolls around. You get all the big rivalry games that you get around Thanksgiving. Stakes are raised. You know, positions in conference title games are on the line virtually each and every week. And uh, November's probably the best single month of football that you can ask for when you cross it over with the NFL as well. But don't sleep on bowl season either. I think December can be a lot of fun. You know, obviously you only play one game if you make a, a bowl game or if you make the playoff, you you can play a couple games. But I, I was just kicking that around a little bit. I was like, what is the best month of, of college football? And maybe it varies by program. But for me, it, September is, it gets you really, really fired up. But September looks different once you get to November than it does when you are playing, uh, you're getting ready for fall camp in July and August and your expectations change. We talked about this a little bit yesterday, how some of those early season games can start to build out the shape of your football season. You know, I think of the, the Ducks 2014 season. That was when they had the home and home with Michigan State and that was the return trip back to Autzen. And obviously, we all remember that Duck team and Mariota and everybody going to uh, the college football playoff, the first ever edition of the playoff, and the semifinal Rose Bowl against Jamison Winston, and then uh, winning that game and going on to the national title in Dallas against Cardale Jones and Zeke. But that 2014 season, 
was highlighted early by that September Week 2 game against Michigan State. Fox was in the house. Gus uh, was on the call. Uh, Joel Klatt on the call. And Mariota making all sorts of different plays. Michigan State was winning for the majority of that game. And then Marcus just took it to another level in the third and fourth quarters. You know, I think of the Beavers, and, and for the Beavers, there haven't been a lot of huge September games that, par- that you know, can rival the Ducks playing Michigan State in 2014 and beating them on their way to the playoff, or that can rival the Ducks going to the Horseshoe in 2021 and playing Ohio State Week 2 on the road, true road game. After Ohio State had canceled, you know, their, their COVID-impacted trip to Eugene, didn't get that. But the Ducks went out to the shoe, and that was a two-touchdown spread. Beat those guys. Oregon's got the big September, you know, memories, at least for me. And part of that is the fact that they've been so good and they can compete at a high level early. For the Beavers, I think of the season opener, you know, with Oklahoma State at Reeser Stadium a few years ago. And that was fun for about a quarter and a half. And then Oklahoma State kind of put the pedal to the metal. That was was back when... uh, what was his name? Spencer Sanders, the Oklahoma State quarterback. I think he was like a freshman, maybe a sophomore, but he's been there like five or six years. Chuba Hubbard was playing it at Reeser that day. Luton and Hodgins were kind of headlining everything for Oregon State, and they were still building. They were still really early in the uh, Jonathan Smith trajectory. But then I think about last September for the Beavers, and just remember the Boise State opener. I don't know, Stephen, you and I, I remember you talking about this game, and... uh I picked Boise State to win the thing. You know, I was high on Andy Avalos. I was high on on the culture that they had. I was high on the returning quarterback, Hank Bachmeyer. And lo and behold, he got pulled by halftime. And Oregon State wins that game. They go on to win 10 games in a season. And I, I look back feeling silly about that season opening prediction. Parlay that with the Fresno State road game in week two. And that... That was a absolute thrill of a win at Fresno State in week two of the season. And that's when we felt like, okay, Oregon State, they can go on the road and win a big non-conference game against a, a tough opponent, a non-Power 5 opponent, but a tough opponent with a great returning quarterback in Jake Hayner and a very seasoned Wiley head coach in Jeff Tedford. And I remember uh, just listening to Mike Parker on the radio call that night because it was late. It was really late. It felt like the game kicked off at like 9 at night. I think it kicked off at like 7.40 or, you know, whatever on the CBS Sports Network. But it kicked off really late. It went deep into the night. And um, Musgrave was still playing. He balled out. And it went all the way to the end. And uh, Jonathan Smith got a touchdown and then decided to go for two. And uh, ended up getting it. And the Beavers won that football game late down at Fresno State, but that's kind of the backdrop of how you compare Oregon and Oregon State in September. The Ducks have got these monumental September games that they've played and won, and the Beavers, they've got the Fresno State road win last year. And I just think of these two programs entering this year, and we're always talking Beavers, Ducks, Beavers, Ducks, and obviously the Beavers have the bragging rights right now. They've won the Civil War. They came back down 31-10 doesn't really matter how they did it. They just ripped the will. They ripped the soul out of Oregon at Reeser Stadium. And so they've got the upper hand. And we'll see when they meet at Autzen Stadium later this fall if Oregon can return the favor or basically hold serve, which is what anyone's been able to do in this rivalry the last decade plus. Beavers haven't won in Eugene since 
I was in high school. I mean, I might have been a freshman in high school in 07. Freshman, yeah, fall of 07 was the last time. So thinking about September this year, though, Oregon State, it's a similar feel to a year ago. Like their best competition is probably going to be San Diego State Week 3 or San Jose State Week 1. For Oregon, it's Texas Tech September 9th. Just an absolutely massive game. But I don't know, Stephen, I, I bring that up for a couple of reasons. One, which which is your favorite month of the college football calendar? And number two, the Ducks just play with a little bit of a higher ante in September than the Beavers do. Well, first of all, anytime you can bring up the Jack Coletto touchdown call, I got to pull it up. So do it. Here, here's the call. Mike Parker, the Fresno State win. Jack Coletto, it's just a great call. Coletto awaiting the shotgun snap. The Beavers try to win it. Coletto runs to the right. Coletto in! Touchdown, Beavers! And the Beavers defeat Fresno State! Jack Coletto, the hammer scores. The Beavers win it for the first time ever in this stadium. The Beavers win it! It seems like that's so long ago, (laughs) Judah, but it's to your point, like, at that time... We weren't sure what Oregon State was, yeah. and they went on to win ten games in the season. You talk about the the or uh, the Boise State game, and then the Fresno State game. I thought they'd split those for sure. I thought they were going to split those games, go one and one. And so when they beat Boise and they beat them bad, I thought, oh, probably going to lose to Fresno. Then, like I just thought it'd be too tough for the Beavs, but they really pulled it out, and it kind of defines their season of how good they actually were yeah. and how tough they were. And, and and that run by Coletto just pounded down the throats. The offensive line, the run game, so good. So It's cathartic. It was. It was cathartic. And look, I'm not a diehard beef. I didn't go there. I'm not from there. But I will say I've, I've grown up listening to Mike Parker on the radio in the very similar vein that I've listened to Jerry Allen on the radio. And those are my connections to the in-state programs. I'm from McMinnville. I grew up in the state, loved college football. I mean, 90, probably... In 95, I don't quite remember the Rose Bowl of 94 for the Ducks, but mid to late 90s, that's when I really started to become conscious of Duck football. 98 for Beaver football by far, and that's the plant, your flag-in-the-ground moment for the Beavers. That's where Jonathan Smith, by the way, is on campus. That's when Denny, Denny Erickson is running things, and that's, of course, when Ken Simonton is beating the Ducks in Parker Stadium. Like, that's that's kind of the benchmark moments, and it co- coincides with my football consciousness as a kid. So, fast forward to 2022, we've gone through the ebbs and flows of, you know, Mike Riley to Dennis Erickson to Mike Riley and just the overall stability that that provided, but a little bit of, you know, vanilla, right? I mean, you can only go 500 or a couple games over 500 so many times without wanting to look at the next step, and Mike took the next step. Went out to Lincoln, Nebraska, played the Duckies a couple of times, uh, lost to him in Eugene, beat him in, in Lincoln. But overall, you go through the Gary Anderson depths and come back out of it. That Fresno game last year was, to me, the first real show-me-that-you're-a-different-program moment. And maybe that's unfair conclusions to take away from the fr- fragility of a Week 2 road non-conference game. That game could have gone the other way. But the fact that they won the thing, and you could hear it in Mike's voice when he made the call, and whoever is smashing the window or uh, banging on the table that you can hear in the background as well, that is the catharsis that I think all of Beaver Nation felt at that time. But that whole take is under the, the prism of Duck fans have seen way bigger games in September and have won them way more often than Beaver fans. 
And it's not to say that the Beavers aren't ready for that, but I kind of want them to start scheduling that way. I kind of want Oregon State, you know, and I've got to take a peek at what 2024 and 25 looks like. But I'm I'm ready for them to graduate from Mountain West non-con and start playing some Big 12, Big 10 non-conference opponents. Is that too ambitious? Um, No, I don't think so. Because we're trying to talk about them in the same vein. But the fact is, the Ducks play higher stakes games in September and, than Oregon State. And unfortunately, the way the Pac-12 is viewed nationally, like you have to get respect in your non-conference games. And so I do think that by Oregon State, if they go out and they're playing the Mountain West, like that gets them no respect. You know, when they went down to LSU and they all went, they should have won that game. Like they would have gotten respect for that win, right? And so I do. Th- I, I think you're right. Oregon on with, State. Yeah, Oregon State. Back when, what was that? Oh four. Yeah, say? Alexis Cerna. Oh my. Extra points. So that game pops up on my. Uh, YouTube algorithm every now and then. Trent Bright was on that Beaver team. Yeah, and Joe Newton, I believe, with the touchdown we got, catch. We got, we got to bring on some some Beaver guys that uh, that were in that. Yeah, Joe Newton, dude, hell of a pull. I loved myself some Joe Newton. But I think you're right though. Like I think for Oregon State, you know, we talked about this last year going in the season. Like the step was, hey, can you win a big time non conference game on the road? And they did that. They beat Fresno State. And I think the next step after that is, well, can you, you know, compete for the Pac twelve title? Well, they kinda did. They got to ten wins. You know, they were in it by the end of the year. There was a slight chance of some things happened, but it didn't happen. So I think for this year again, it's another step. Can you get, no. can you actually get to Vegas? Can you you know on the last game about, of the year? What about scheduling moving forward? Do you think they need to? I, I think I think raise the ante a little bit. I think you're going a little too far, a little too fast. Uh, you know, I love Jonathan Smith, but I mean, I'm just, not driving Jordan Addison 140 in no, Corvallis. You're right not. Now. You're not. I, I think you need to slow it down a little. I think Oregon State needs to contend for the Pac-12 title. I don't title. have a dog emergency. Get to a Rose Bowl first before we start. You know, thinking about okay, what do they need to do to get the CFP? Like, I, Fair. Think, I think that's kind of what we need to look at. I think they got a legitimate chance this season. So if they do it this season, then yeah, I think going forward, hey, let's let's look at the schedule and try to get a couple more uh, non cupcakes in there. Well, that and that's what I'm I'm intrigued to see what Jonathan Smith's conversations with Scott Barnes are on that front. That'd be a topic I'll have to explore a little bit more. Uh, we're going to be joined in the next segment by somebody that covers Beaver football down there at uh, 12:40 Joe Radio. T.J. Matthewson will join us uh, coming up in a in a few minutes. He'll be covering the Beavers at fall camp and. He helps out uh, on Mike Parker's radio show down there as well. 1240 does a great job. So TJ will be joining us in about 10 minutes or so and talking a little Beaver football. I've got some questions for him. In the meantime, we've got a lot more material from John Cazano's Pac-12 Media Day on Friday. And Cazano, working camp exceptional for the BFT uh, Foundation this week, the kids camp that uh, he and Anna put together. It's absolutely incredible. It's wonderful work. Uh, So John's engaged with that this week. But in the meantime, we get to benefit from the prolific amount of content he grabbed on Friday in Vegas. And uh, Anthony Gould was there helping represent the Oregon State Beavers. This was John's conversation with the Beavers receiver, Anthony Gould. All right, Anthony Gould is with us, wide receiver, Oregon State, Pac-12 Media Day here in Las Vegas. Uh, Anthony, what do you make of the scene here? Like, give me an idea. Is this what you expected it to be? Your first media day, really, isn't it? Uh, it is my first yeah. media day. Uh, How close to what you expected? It, it's pretty much what I expected. You know, they they said it was going to be a, a grind with the interviews, and they weren't kidding about that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, but it, it's been awesome. You know, it's been an awesome experience being in, down here and uh, represent my team. So, you know, I'm blessed to be able to do that and. 
No, it's, it's really a humbling experience. It has to feel good when your coach turns to you and says, hey, I want you to represent us mm-hmm. as part of that day. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, because it becomes, especially at Oregon State, where I, I think the the staff values culture. Right. You know, what is the culture of Oregon State? Help me help me understand that. Oh, I mean, you don't have any egos in that program. And I think that's a, the easiest part of, you know, waking up and, and coming to work every day is, you know, you have selfless guys who, you know, want to be there. And, you know, they, they just love everyone, you know. Um, you know, you, it, there's not many places you can, you can go where, you know, everyone is bought in and everyone, you know, loves to be around each other and, you know, genuinely likes each other, you know, um, especially with like 100 guys plus, uh, including the staff. So, um, you know, everyone just feeling the right fit and, you know, everyone gets along. So, you know, having that camaraderie, I think, is, is great. Anthony Gold is with us, wide receiver, Oregon State. Um, uh, I, I don't need you to tell me who's going to start at quarterback, <laughs> but let's talk about the three guys that everybody mm-hmm. talks about and what they do well. Start with the kid, Aiden Childs. What does he do well? Man, he's a baller. That's the best best way I could describe it. He goes out there and he plays loose. You know, you could go, you could tell he he doesn't have a worry in the world when he goes out there and plays <laughs> and. He goes out there to have fun, you know, and I, I, that's what I yeah. love about his game. I love the way the ball comes out of his mm-hmm. hand, too. Oh, just, yeah, you can throw it. It looks, uh, it's different. Mm-hmm. It's different that way. Uh, ben Goldbrunson, you saw a lot of him last year. What makes him good? Uh, I mean, he's a winner, you know what I'm saying? Like, going 7-1, and one, you know, I think a lot of people kind of overlooked that. Mm-hmm. But the kid's a winner, you know, and you can't ask much more of much more else out of your quarterback. You know, he, he knows how to win and get the job done. Um, you know, he's been expanding his game and improving his game this off season. So, you know, it's been cool to see that room come yeah. together. And, you know, like I said, there's no egos in the room. So, you know, they're all pushing each other to get better. And, you know, that's awesome to see. But yeah, how, how much more confident was he, like, in the huddle? From maybe when he first stepped into the field, I think it was a Utah game he came mm-hmm. in after Chance got hurt. By the end of the year, you know, that guy in the huddle, how different was he? Oh, he was a completely different person, you know. And it, it it's tough, you know, coming in that first game, especially Utah, you know, you're playing against a good team, a well-coached team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't have it, you know, you don't have the game you want to have. Um, but, I mean, you come back and you bounce back. And I think that shows a lot about just, uh, you know, the person he is. Um, you know, he put his head down and he came to work every day. D- uh, and then DJ. Uh, you have DJ Uyunglele. Mm-hmm. What's what's his game about, or what makes him good? Man, he's a big dude. Yeah, I'm not sure if you the yeah. next one. Oh yeah, I have. He is a big dude. I think he could play guard for you guys oh, if man. he wanted to. Yeah. DN anything. Yeah. He is a big dude. So you know, bringing that to the offense, you know, there's not going to be a lot of people that want to tackle him. Yeah. You know, if he if he breaks the pocket. Watch out, because once he gets yeah. moving, there's, he's going to be hard to tackle. Put yourself in a coach's shoes. Let's just scout that. Like, could you play more than one guy, or do you have to pick one? If I'm a coach, I think you gotta. You think you gotta pick one. Um, but I mean, it's tough, you know. And that's yeah. Thankfully, you know, I'm not in that you position where I have to decision. choose. Yep. <laughs> but you know, it's tough when you guys. You know, you got three guys in the room that can all play. You know, yeah. and that's not a bad problem. It's not a bad problem to have. Yeah. You know, and you know. Um, you know, all their time will come, you know, uh, one way or another. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's definitely tough to, to make that decision. You and I have talked about um, Jaden Grant. Yes, sir. He used to come on this show, and then he liked Jamba Juice, and then Jamba heard that he was on the show, and they said, hey, we should sponsor the segment. And, you know, Steve at Jamba was like, that's awesome. We'll name a juice for Jaden Grant. So <laughs> I asked Jaden, I said, who should replace you? And he says, Anthony Gold should replace me. Are you up? Are you are you drinking Jamba yet, or is that something that you're committed to? Oh, yeah, definitely. I love Jamba Juice. You're in. And Jaden's <laughs> my guy. You know? Yeah. 
I thank him for doing that. You know, yeah. he doesn't have to do that, but that just, you know, goes to show you the type of character and person he is, you know. Um, so that means you're going to have to talk to me, though, once a week in the season, you know. That's fine with me. We'll pick a day. You're going to have to talk to me <laughs> we'll, once a week we'll during the season. We'll pick a time. <laughs> but we'll, you know, we'll talk about, like, with Jaden, we often talked about everything but football. Right. You know, like mm -hmm. what it's like to... You know his roommates. Mm -hmm. You know, do you? How about you? Who you? You live with football players, non-football? I live by myself. Oh, really? Yep. You're a lone wolf. Yep. How does that? I like it that way. Yeah. I, I like it that way. You don't got to worry about cleaning up after anyone. You know, can come home, relax. Yeah. Know, do what you want around the house. So. It's nice. Oh, it's amazing. You got some uh, peace and quiet. Mm -hmm. um, all right. I really appreciate you stopping by and making time for us. Yes, sir. We'll talk to you throughout the season. It, it'll uh, so find your favorite Jamba drink, <laughs> and uh, look at look at over here. You got Bo Nix, your mm -hmm. Oregon uh, nemesis over there at Oregon. He's doing a TV interview. No, no, he, crazy, huh? He looks like he's an anchor on TV. <laughs> he's so holding the microphone well, and <laughs> yeah, that those uh, how, that that game. Let's go back to that Oregon mm -hmm. game before I before I let you go. That how satisfying was that for you guys? Oh, that was an amazing win. Uh, yeah, you know, being down, I think. What, 21 points at one point? Yeah, it looked uh, like it, you guys were done. Oh, uh, yeah, it looked like it was over. But, you know, like I said, just having that camaraderie and the guys coming together, you know, the game's not over till it's over. You know, we had a couple games like that last year to where it came down to the to the wire. Yeah. And, you know, just us locking in and executing and dialing in what we need to do, you know, there's nothing like being the Ducks, and that was a, that was a great one. It'll be win. a good one again this year. I oh, think yes, you guys sir. are going to be good. They're going to be mm -hmm. good. Uh, that makes it fun for the rest of us. Oh, yeah, looking forward to it. All right, Anthony, thank you. Appreciate cool, thank you, man. You. Yep. <laughs> that was great. Anthony Gould with John Cazano from Vegas Friday, uh, previewing the Beaver season from uh, Pac-12 Media Day. We'll continue a little more Beaver talk coming up on the other side of the break. But first, Stephen Vaughn, I know uh, you had some takeaways from this Anthony Gould conversation in particular. Talking about the quarterbacks. Aiden Childs, DJ Uyunglele, Ben Goldbranson. He says, Aiden Childs, he's a baller. Ben Goldbranson, he's a winner. DJ U, he's big. <laughs> he is a big, big boy. What do you think about the way he described the three QBs? And look, maybe I'm looking too much into this, but when I heard him say that, and he calls Aiden Childs a baller, and then he calls Goldbranson a winner, that makes me think that, Aiden Childs is much more talented than Ben Goldbranson. <laughs> and it's, it's it's probably not a stretch. I mean, look, we have seen we saw Aiden in the spring game, but that guy's he's got a different skill set than Ben Goldbranson. And it's no it's no, you know, negative to Goldbranson. He did go seven to one. You can't you can't improve that. He won football games, but was it him? Was it him that won those games? I don't know. I think a lot of those times it he wasn't. Single-handedly beat the Ducks. I mean, that's the thing. They didn't. They didn't pass the football against the Oregon <laughs> Ducks. Like he he talks about Aiden Childs and the throws that they can make, and then talks about Michael Branson. It's all intangible stuff, which is great. But to me, that means that I don't see how he's the starter quarterback week one, yeah. and it's gonna be DJ Uyunglele. Now he didn't say much about DJ's passing skills. I will say that, and I thought that was a little interesting as well. He said he's big, he can run. If he gets going and he gets moving, he's going to be hard to tackle. But he didn't say, oh, he's very accurate with the football. Sounds great if you're Derrick Henry. Yeah, sounds great if you're a running back and you're... Need a little uh, bit more if you're If you're Damian Martinez, that's, yeah. that's how you, I describe him. But when you're the quarterback, it was a little interesting to me. But I I think those comments to me really spoke a lot to Aiden Childs is going to be the future of this program, whether it's this year at some point. But next year, I think it's his program. And, like, I think that's how much they really love that guy here uh, down in Corvallis. And uh, Goldbranson, probably not going to be the guy this year. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you I'm wrong and I'm bringing too much he into He transfers it. if he doesn't win the job, Goldbranson? I don't know because I <laughs> – no, I don't where, think so. Where did Chance Nolan end up? He uh, he ended up at TCU. Oh, that's He's going right. against Coach Prime week one. 
Is he going to play? No, I I don't think so. He's he's depth. I, I don't think Gil Branson would leave necessarily like before the season starts. I think he plays it out in Oregon State. Yeah, but I'm, I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. But that's the way I took it. That was my takeaway from it. Is that I, he I'm loves the skills of Childs. Yeah. And I thought it was very interesting that he did not say anything about DJ's throwing skills. All right. I, Worries I, me just a tiny bit. I like that. Look, I am all about putting the magnifying glass on the transcripts for media day and blowing those suckers to the highest level of proportion we can. It's not out of proportion. They say what they said. It's just up to us to make a big deal about it because it's July 25th. That's what we do. So on that note, TJ Matthewson, 1240 Joe Radio. He'll join us coming up next. We'll talk a little bit more beef football with him as uh, fall camp is uh, about to commence at Oregon State. We'll also get you the big splash punch at audio. Jed Fish, Justin Wilcox, Troy Taylor, Travis Hunter, all among the media day conversations will air on the show today. It's Newby in for Kanzano on the Bald Face Truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back to the program. Newbie in for Canzano. Stephen Vaughn holding things down as well. Getting ever closer to fall camp for the Ducks and the Beavers. And then the Pac-12 football season. Of course, the Beavers open September the 3rd down at Brent Brennan's San Jose State Spartans. We'll uh, have plenty of time to talk about that one and that point spread. I know uh, Stephen's eyeing that one around 16 and a half, 17. Feels like a lot, but hey, that's that's respect for the Beavs uh, right now. Going to talk a little bit more about the Beavs with T.J. Matthewson joining us now on the BFT. T.J. with 1240 Joe Radio in Corvallis as fall camp approaches. What's up, T.J.? Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, it's uh, I'm really looking forward to fall camp. I was mentioning to you yesterday, things get a little slow around here during the summer, but it could not be a more exciting time to be a Beaver fan with this upcoming football season. I'm certainly looking forward to it from a media perspective. There are some really fascinating storylines when camp kicks off a, a week from Thursday, I think. you got to settle something for me quick, though, before we dig into the Beavers. I've got a question. Your name, TJ Matthewson, you go with the periods after T and J. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. Okay. That, so that, that, DJ, that was, uh, that was, yeah. Go ahead. DJ Uyunglele's got no no periods after D and J. I, how do you figure out if you're the guy that puts the periods after your initials or not? I'm I'm confused on that. I don't know. You can ask our mom. She might be able to hear, hear the signal up in Seattle, so she can figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> they stand for anything? Uh, Theodore John, yes. So uh, you could go. You could say that I'm named after two presidents, even though it's unintentional as possible. Okay, very good. All right, thanks, TJ. Uh, yeah, Corvallis this time of year. Um, what 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 what's life like down in uh, around campus and the overall vibes in Corvallis right now? Uh, a lot of place to park, um, and you go to a Corvallis Knights game. But overall, I mean, yeah, you know, we're still about two months away from students getting back to campus, so it's a little quiet. But everyone who is around, I mean, it really is all about football. I mean, they. In turf for a program that really hasn't had all that much historical success. I mean, the, the, having some of these expectations coming up for this upcoming month of camp and some of the questions that need to be answered, it, it just kind of feels like 
kind of feels like one of a kind. I would I would think so. You lay it out for us the the schedule with fall camp. Uh, I know the Ducks are starting up soon. The Beavers are as well. What's kind of your itinerary like as players start showing up and practices start to get underway? Yeah, I'm planning on uh, planning on being there pretty much every day for the station. You know, we got we want to keep our presence there, but it, it, it it's very I, I think as crucial as ever to to try and see as much of this fall camp as possible because we still after having this question last fall camp as well in 2022. Beavers still don't know who their quarterback is, so I mean it's so important that you got to be there and, and see uh, and see all the stuff going on. I mean, you think it's going to be DJ, but you know there's there's still plenty of uh, there's still plenty of run for the rest of the guys. And Jonathan, when he was at Pac-12 Media Day last week, said, "Yeah, we're gonna we're just gonna kind of throw them in the ring and see who comes out when the dust settles," which I think is really intriguing and. He's going to do that for a lot of positions, so it's it's going to be fun to you know really get to go out and spend some time in the sun and and watch these guys really go compete as as the month of August winds down and we get closer to week one. If you were to guess, how long do you think this quarterback competition lasts? Now, in the mind of the coaching staff, I would say it might go two weeks. There's probably you don't bring DJ in for him not to start theoretically, right? You, you probably had to pay him some sort of NIL package. I don't know what that is. You probably had to make some assurances on his end as he makes to, as he, when he came to Corvallis, is eyeing the NFL. Okay, where is gonna where where is the best chance and the best fit for me to eventually land on my feet in the NFL in a system I think can help me translate well? Well, that's what Jonathan Smith's system does, and it's, it would be paired with a quarterback who's had more talent than anyone in his system ha- has had before. But, not, I don't think we're getting anything until the final week. And they, the other thing I think about with this, which is the same thing they did last year, we saw this around the country with the transfer portal. I mean, some coaches don't even announce a starting quarterback until week uh, two, three. I mean, TCU played for a national championship last year. The famous story that Sonny Dykes didn't like, he rotated three quarterbacks in week one because he didn't want any of them leaving. And I can't help <laughs> to think that the that the thought on, on the, in the back of the mind of Jonathan Smith and Brian Lindgren is that, okay, well, we say DJ is, is a starter, is a starter here. Well, we don't want Ben leaving because as talented as Aiden Charles is behind him and as great as he looked in the spring, I mean, that's asking a true freshman, say an injury happens, which they do over the course of, of someone's football playing career. Things happen. And you, the season with all this expectations would be riding on the shoulders of a kid who, should have just graduated high school, competed in fall camp last year while he should have been uh, in high school still. And that's that's the kind of risk you're taking. So, you know, this is sort of the tinfoil hat thought of, of, of thinking you roll into San Jose State week one and say, we're going to play both these guys and see how they play. It's just an, as an extent of fall camp. And that wouldn't totally surprise me. TJ Matthewson, 1240 Joe Radio, joining us uh, on the Bald Face Truth from down there in Corvallis. Uh, talk to me about Aiden Childs, man, because just getting a whiff of that guy, it's, it's hard not to get excited with his potential. He was the best quarterback. Uh, yeah, okay, best quarter. I was going to say best player, but there were some really good performances in spring. So I'll just shorten it to he was the best quarterback on the field during the spring as a kid who was 17 years old. And that was yeah, a little bit of adjustment on DJ's side. He wasn't too familiar with the offense, but 
the athleticism really, really stands up. I mean, everything you see about this guy as an athlete is totally true. And some things that shocked me as well, it's not just the running ability, but some of the times you would pull a, you'd almost pull a Russell Wilson where he's running, but he's running to throw the football. And he would you know, run towards the line of scrimmage, and he'd dash towards each sideline to his left or to his right, but still keep his eyes downfield and throw on the run and throw accurately on the run. There's so many times where he would either throw a deep pass or he'd throw a nice little under route on the move, and the ball would be right on target. And I, I remember thinking, because everything I had read about Aiden Childs before he came into spring practice was that he was a project thrower. Well, i got to say, he didn't look like too much of a project throw in the spring. When the structure happens and defenses start game planning for him a little bit, I'm sure that will tighten up a little bit, and he'd probably end up making some mistakes. But when they let him you know, go off the leash and really go play out there, it was really fascinating to watch him go out there and look significantly better than guys who have been in this system for longer, almost longer than he's been in high school, which is funny to think about. The quarterbacks are such a natural talking point. Uh, the 10 wins from last year, trying to repeat that natural talking point. What's something we're overlooking with this Oregon State team? In a positive or negative way? Mm. Let's go. Let's go negative. It's easy to be positive about these guys. <laughs> get, get, okay. let, let, let's try to put the shoe on the other foot. You know, it's so the optics are so good down there. Well, what could go wrong, or what, what's uh, what's a sleeping, you know, potential pitfall for Oregon State this year? The one place I'm really looking at, I'm curious how they're going to fill the middle linebacker spots. That group has seen some some departures over the uh, last couple of years. Avery Roberts two years ago. Omar Spates leaving for LSU this past offseason, and, and Kyrie Fisher, who was solid there in the middle, also leaving the program, so or graduating uh, and moving on, not to say he left. And so you leave that spot with Easton Mascarinas Arnold, who's played there, you know, played some special teams and, and filled in in that, in that role, but now he's probably going to start. I don't think he got too much action in the spring off the top of my head. And then after that, there's a lot of, you know, question of, of who it could be. I mean, I, I think it will be John Miller. Uh, John Miller's probably going to get a, a good bit of run there in the middle linebacker. We saw him on the field quite a bit for multiple teams of defenses, first, second, third team when spring was going on. But after that, it's it's really a curiosity of some guys who haven't played at all. Micaiah Tung, former uh, former wide receiver, has switched to linebacker this season. He was still a little skinny when spring rolled around, but they were throwing him there at the linebacker, throwing him out on the edge. I mean, he showed some really good speed there. But in terms of the instincts of of being a linebacker, I mean, I'm sure he's still got some to learn. Uh, Mason Tufaga from, from Utah didn't play a whole lot at Utah, so there's a really a, a, an experience factor there. And then there's just more in the depth chart behind him. But in terms of question marks, that's really where I kind of look at and say, okay, you probably need to see something there tangible on the field to to have confidence because that's the, the group that really has the least amount of returners in it and is a pretty crucial part of what should be the best uh, side of the field on the defensive side is, you know, you need those linebackers there, you know, making sure everyone's in the right spot and, and covering up those holes that the, that the defensive line uh, might open up. You're, uh, you're a big Mariner fan, huh? Just a little bit, unfortunately. How's that going? Funny enough. No. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny you ask that because, you know, they, they lose yesterday and, and end up uh, sitting at 50-50 and 50 on the season. And, and I went back and I counted 
in their schedule, and this really is just life as a Mariner fan. 22 times this season they've been exactly 500 with the record, which is really fascinating. And that doesn't count the start of the season when they were 0-0. Zero and zero. So I don't think anything better summarizes being a Mariner fan than, uh, than that stat right there. Well, you know, once you get to 500, at least you're guaranteed the next game you won't be 500, one way or the other. That's true. Something, and then uh, there's, an opportunity to, uh, there's an opportunity to get back to 500 the very next game after that. Is so, it, is it baseball? Maybe they can set a record. Baseball's the best, isn't it? I was I was it's, driving home yesterday listening to uh, the ninth inning with uh, with Aaron Goldsmith on the call and uh, yeah. heard the Colton Wong homer and was like, all right, we're, we're turning this thing around. And then check my phone an hour later, they found a way to lose. Yeah, you, you think of the, the most unlikely scenarios possible in terms of, of the Mariners tying the game. And I was looking at some of the numbers on how they've, fared in, in late game situations and it's just been terrible and you know Colton Long has been awful all season long and manages to hit have one of the biggest hits of the season and it's like all right Toronto's gonna lose you gain a game in the wild card uh, you know and you have a one-run lead and then all of a sudden your two best relievers cough up a run in each of the next two innings and while the middle of your lineup is, continues to be about as unclutch as possible I mean it really did epitomize the Mariners season in a, in a in an aspect there last night against the Twins <laughs> um, so it's, uh, it's an up and down, uh, it's, it's an up and down lifestyle that I was, I don't know, I would say I was cursed with, but you know, we, uh, we suffer through it together. So it's, uh, it's good. We're talking to TJ Matthewson. He's at TJ Matthewson on, on Twitter, uh, covering Beaver football at 1240 Joe radio down there and a brief little baseball detour. Got a great podcast, by the way, you should check it out. The Marine layer pod talking all things, uh, Mariners and, uh, and the big leagues. Uh, it, was, it was fun to see your guys' all-star game content at T-Mobile Park. Uh, that was pretty cool, TJ. So keep up the good work on that. This is your debut on the Bald Face Truth. So uh, let some of the listeners know, how'd you wind up in Corvallis, given your uh, Seattle origins and, and where you ended up going to school? Grew up in Seattle, went to uh, Ballard High School, and then found my way down to ASU. I know a lot of people I talked to initially think I went to Oregon State. No, I'm actually a Sun Devil. I went to... Uh, down in Phoenix, studied sports journalism there, wanted to get into some broadcasting while I was in school, wanted to do some play-by-play, but things didn't work out. In terms of picking worst times ever to graduate, 2020 has to be on the top of the list. <laughs> I mean, just atrocious. Yeah, you should have uh, so picked man, a different year, man. Yeah, <laughs> That's I know. On you. Tell me, I should have done what the kids do, and I should have reclassified. As that. someone that got married in 2020, I, I tell you, you should have picked a different year to graduate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I end up uh, I end up down in Corvallis. I'm uh, I, I work with my boss John Warren, of course, Mike Parker. I produce this show down here, which will uh, get underway about a month from right now. So it's uh, it's a fun little bit getting to do some high school sports as well, which is always fun when the uh, the local communities get to uh, we get to use our platform to help uh, tell some great stories of some of the high school or high school athletes around us. Some really great high school athletes uh, come out and coming out of the Mid Valley. So that's fun, as, of course, and. Uh, yeah, focusing on Beaver sports, which is really fun, and it's uh, it's a good first introduction into the into the sports business. You really learn on the fly, and you learn a lot. It's like drinking from a fire hose. You get to see Mike Parker uh, on the regular. Uh, what's working with Mike like, and do you have a good Mike Parker story? Ooh, I don't know if a good story, but you definitely learn a lot. I would say Mike and I are similar in the fact that we love baseball and baseball history, so it if you i'm sure you you look at my last name and you if you're a baseball history 
person, you might think, oh, there's someone in the Baseball Hall of Fame with the last name Matthewson, and I will usually just lie and say, yes, I'm related to him, besides the fact our <laughs> Matthewson last name is, is adopted, so I don't think that's possible. But by name, I mean, there's probably some connection back there, too. So these little, like, I guess little random things with Mike that we're able to uh, connect on because we're, we're pretty fluent in, uh, in, in some, some older baseball history that is, that is really just, uh, was really just fascinating. So it's, it's good to get to learn from him and then from my boss, John Warren, as well. They've been in the business for quite a long time, and it's, uh, it's good to learn from the people who experienced all sorts of things uh, in this industry while I'm just here getting started. I would pick up a C.S. Lewis book and then uh, bring it up to Mike and tell tell him all about what you learned. Uh, you can thank me later for that one. Uh, <laughs> either that or George McDonald. Go go find yourself some C.S. Lewis or George McDonald, and uh, and you'll you'll have a good conversation with Mike in no time. Uh, I'll leave you with this, T.J. A game on the schedule, not named Oregon. You're most looking forward to seeing Oregon State play this year. I'm gonna say Washington because it's gonna be in Corvallis and I get to go to it. That sounds pretty. Uh, that sounds. Well, you get to go. To, you a, get to go to all of them. So. <laughs> uh, uh, no, actually, I don't get to travel anywhere. So only uh, only the home games. So if we're talking in terms of of importance, I mean, the Utah on a Friday night will be cool and hey, it'll be warm. So honestly, you know, that as a, if we're just looking at a context neutral, they, probably that one and the Utes are supposed to be very good. But, I mean, Washington is right up there with USC and Oregon in terms of having to win the conference this year. I mean, that, that game, when I look at the or, at Oregon State schedule this year, I think there's a very real chance that they could be 11-0 heading into that Oregon game. I mean, if you just look at their home games that they have, in terms of the, the tough conference games that they have, Utah, they're playing at home. UCLA, they're playing at home. Stanford, uh, they're terrible, are playing at home. And then Washington are playing at home. So three of those four teams are on the top half of the Pac-12, opposed to if you look at their, their road schedule. I mean, these are all the four of these or five of these teams outside of Oregon that they play on the road, Washington State, California, Arizona, Colorado, could be in the bottom five teams in the conference. So the schedule really works out. So when I look at that Washington game, that's the pivotal game saying, wow, this could be the difference between a New York Six Bowl and the Alamo Bowl. If you, if you beat Washington at home, for their expectations of, of winning a national championship this year, I mean, that's the one I'm circling. I think it's going to be a fantastic matchup. And I know Oregon State fans want to get a bite back at Washington for a game they thought they should have won last year up at Husky Stadium. That was a good one last year, Friday night, in the wind in Seattle. TJ, thanks for making time, man. It's good to connect with you and have you on the show for the first time. Keep up the good work uh, down in there in Corvallis, and we'll look forward to having you on again soon. All right, I appreciate you guys having me on. There he is, T.J. Matthewson, 1240, Joe Radio in Corvallis, Oregon State. Ten wins a season ago. Can they replicate it? He said a couple of things that I want to unpack uh, in our next segment and uh, later in the show as well. That's T.J. Matthewson. Appreciate him making time for that. We'll bounce a break and come back, get you a big splash and some punch and audio, plus more of Canzano's Pac-12 Media Day interviews, including Travis Hunter from Colorado and Justin Wilcox, the Cal head coach, and Jed Fish from Arizona. Newbie in for Cadano on the Bald Face Truth. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Cadano on 750 The Game.
All right, thanks to TJ Matheson, 1240 Joe Radio, joining us in the previous segment. Steven, we were talking in the break about the uh, the beef schedule, and uh, I know you're, look, you like the beefs, but you are betting the under on their win total at eight and a half. So, of anyone, you're fading them this year. And I hate I hate to be that guy, but I, I just have a lot of questions that I feel like are being assumed it's going to be what it was last season, and that's defensively. Defensively, they're losing so much, especially in the defensive backfield. You know, Jane Grant, I, he, he may not be you know an NFL star, but the guy had been there for a million years, and he was the he was the unquestioned leader of that defense. And then you have Alex Austin, Rajon Wright, like those are two awesome guys. And even TJ talked about it. Omar Spates, like your lean tackler, he's gone, he's going to LSU. Like, is Oregon State ready to just replace those guys and fill in and be the number one defense in the Pac-12? I'm not ready to say that yet. And then I still have questions about DJ Uyunglele. Like, there's a reason why he left Clemson. They didn't want him there. He wasn't that great this past season. Is he going to come in? And I understand Jonathan Smith going to make it easy. But are we sure that he's the guy? Are we sure that he's much of an upgrade over Bengal Branson? I'm not. And so I- I'm just not ready to say that, you know, looking at the schedule, Dashell said 10-0. Matthewson said 11-0 potentially. I'm not ready to say that at all. Like, I, I-, I think they're a 7-8 win team right now. They could get to 10, and I could be wrong. But I still have a lot of questions I need to see answered, especially when they play San Jose State on the road in week one. You see what Dasha wrote today? No. He's doing this thing, and John will have him on, I'm sure, soon, but where he's basically fleshing out different pathways for the Beavers this year. And today's piece was how they make the college football playoff. See, I'm not, I'm, I am I think it's a little premature. We talk about stuff. He's going to say it will happen. I know. I just, I think just there's, saying, there's saying, these steps in these process for the Beavers. The steps, steps, seven wins, 10 wins, college football playoff. National title. National Dynasty. title. I think that should be the expectation. Uh, we'll uh, we'll we'll play some more media day interviews on the other side. We'll also do a, a big splash to uh, to start off our number two as well. Justin Wilcox's Vegas conversation with John. Same with Jed Fish. Those will be coming up. Uh, Travis Hunter from Colorado plus Punch It Audio mentioned it with uh, with DJ. The Mariners game last night was uh, was hilarious in a lot of ways. I can say that because I'm not a Mariner fan. Uh, I am a Colton Wong fan. I'll uh, tell that story a little bit later as well. But Mariners found a way to to lose a hilarious game last night in Minnesota. Uh, hour two coming up. We'll talk a little bit more Ducks and NFL. A lot of NFL news to get to. Newbie in for Kazano right here on the Bald Face Truth. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Kitzano, here's Judah Newby with the bald faced truth. Got a little breaking news to start hour two. Welcome into the bald faced truth. Newby in for Kitzano, Stephen Vaughn in the house as well. Talking a little college football, talking a little NFL, and this breaking news is uh, worlds colliding with those two. I know I did not get to the big splash at the end of hour one, Stephen. Let's go ahead. Let's get right into it. The big splash with some breaking news in hour two. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The big splash. Justin Herbert, come on down. We got a big bag of cash. 
waiting for you, my friend. Eugene Native, Ducks legend, Chargers quarterback, graduating from his rookie deal to an extension. Adam Schefter's got it. He is breaking the news uh, right now, saying the next quarterback domino falls. Chargers and Justin Herbert reached agreement today on a landmark five-year, $262.5 million extension that ties him to the franchise through the 2029 season. The deal gets done before the Chargers' first training camp practice on Wednesday. So Herbie gets the bag a little bit more from Schefter. Says Justin Herbert, now the third quarterback this offseason to sign a market resetting five-year contract extension. First, it was Jalen Hurts at five years, $255 million. Then it was Lamar Jackson, five years, $260 million. Now it's J- Justin Herbert at $262 million over five. So $2.5 million more than Lamar Jackson. And that means the next big domino is, of course, in Cincinnati with Joe Burrow, who is, uh, who is due next. This is awesome. I'm really, uh, really excited. It's funny. It's way easier to celebrate big wins, you know, and big moments for the Chargers. And they're obviously still trying to get back and win a playoff game. They made the playoffs last year as a five seed, but lost the heartbreaker in Jacksonville to Stevens Jaguars in that ridiculous second half comeback. But I think getting a, a contract like this and just to think that Justin Herbert, Justin Herbert has reset the NFL quarterback market. It's the new highest paid quarterback in the NFL for Duck fans that remember when he came on campus as a freshman in, in 2016, the last year of Mark Helfrich, and how that dismal, dismal season had one bright spot, and that was the play of number 10. And you thought, maybe we have something here. Maybe even though we're going to have to part ways with decades-long of history in the coaching staff and all that continuity. At least we got a guy like Justin Herbert. I think about that 2016 season often. I think about when UW rolled right into Eugene and laid the smackdown on the Webfoots. And remember the jerseys Oregon wore that day. 70 to 21. Lop, most lopsided score in the history of the rivalry. UW went to the playoff that year. No Pac-12 team has been back to the playoffs since. And Oregon would, would lose to UW. They would lo- the reason I've been thinking about 2016 is I've been trying to think about the last time that Oregon lost in the same season to both the Huskies and the Beavers, their two biggest rivals. Obviously something they did last year. And I was like, how many coaches survive losing to your two biggest rivals in the same year? And obviously, you know, Landing's not going to get fired after one year, especially when they basically won every other game besides Georgia. But I thought about that 2016 year, and I was like, that's right. They got blown out by UW, and then Ryan Null ran all over them in the Civil War. The, yeah, exactly. The 4-8 and eight Beavs beat the 4-8 and eight Ducks. What a tough year for football in our state that year. We've come a ways. We've come a little ways since 2016. But that's when Herbie was a freshman. Then he got hurt in the first year with Willie Taggart. You know, he got hurt in the the Cal game, missed a little bit of time. 2017, ended up going to the Vegas Bowl, baby, and all that stuff. And Willie was just a, you know, it was good while it lasted, I guess, until it wasn't lasting anymore. 
and then he was gone. The only saving grace about the Taggart era was that it brought Mario Cristobal. And with Cristobal's rise came Herbert's rise. And frankly, with Herbert's rise, up came Cristobal as well, even though I think Duck fans all remember that offense was not an aerial attack worth writing home about, even though it probably should have been. There were two things Duck fans wanted more of, and it was Justin Herbert to throw the ball more and Justin Herbert to run the ball more. And yet Marcus Arroyo seemed to be uh, allergic to both until finally they let Herbie kind of take more control of the offense as 2018 waxed, 2019 progressed. They end up going to the Rose Bowl and winning it over Wisconsin, beating Utah in the Pac-12 title game in 2019. And then Herbie gets drafted. He ends up, the, the big debate, I'll still remember it. Obviously, COVID hit in March. The NFL draft was in April. They got the combine in right before COVID hit. And the big debate was, obviously, Burrow is going to go number one, the quarterback on the greatest offense of all time in LSU. But who's the second quarterback to go? Tua or Herbert? Tua or Herbert? And I remember thinking that I was going to take Justin Herbert, even though I like Tua, but he had the injuries. He had the injuries late in his career at Alabama, and he wasn't nearly the, the quarterback of the stature of Justin Herbert, obviously. Hardly anyone is. But Herbert's completion percent, people were picking him apart and all this. I'm like, God, don't overthink it. Don't Don't overthink it. This guy is built like an actual statue, and yet he runs like a deer. Like, don't overthink. And he's got great touch on a deep ball. And he was playing in an offense that inhibited his best skill sets. Like, he should be the second quarterback off the board, not Tua. But then Miami takes Tua at five overall. Chargers end up taking Herbert at six overall. And... We even remember the first time that he actually saw the field with the Chargers. It wasn't like Herbert was starting week one out of the gate, which I was fine with. I love quarterbacks, you know, sitting a season and uh, taking their time. You know, Tom Brady had to sit before he ended up getting it from Bledsoe. Mahomes had to sit, wait out Alex Smith for a year. Rodgers had to sit behind Favre. I'd say it's worked out most of the time when you take first-round quarterbacks and let them marinate. So I was a fan of how the Chargers did that with Herbert until the team doctor punctured Tyrod Taylor's lung. (laughs) And Anthony Lynn goes up to Herbert and says, you're in, kid. And he goes into that Chiefs game week two of the season, his rookie year, and nearly beat Patrick Mahomes. First game. And I remember, I was was calling a, I was doing play-by-play that day for uh, for T2, the Timbers, uh, you know, their uh, second-tier league affiliate down at Providence Park. I was at Providence Park getting ready for the game, and I was also watching. I was saying Herbert was going toe-to-toe with Mahomes week two of the season, his first game after Tyrod Taylor punctured along. And I was like, this is the beginning of the story. This is the beginning of the story in the NFL for the Eugene kid. Sheldon, two-way player, baseball star, broke his leg his junior year, three-star recruit. Under the radar, Helfrich locks him up in Eugene, just like Helfrich got Mariota out of Honolulu to Eugene. There's one thing you can say about Helfrich. At least he knew how to recruit quarterbacks, dang it. And uh, you can always thank him for that because two of the greatest ever to lace him up at Autzen Stadium were really secured by the work of Mark Helfrich. 
And then ever since then, I got to say, I've been surprised by Justin Herbert's NFL success this quick, this soon, without much, um, at least from a talent level, there hasn't been much to resist him. From a team level, boy, the Chargers better win a playoff game and they better do it soon. But when they do eventually take the field in training camp tomorrow in the regular season, it will be with a freshly paid Justin Herbert. Again, the breaking news, Justin Herbert signing a big extension, resetting the quarterback market. Five years, $262.5 million for Herbie with the L.A. Chargers. Resets the quarterback market, Stephen Vaughn. Pretty pretty well-deserved, even though it might be short-lived, as who knows when Joe Burrow's deal will be announced, but it will be any day now. Yeah, I mean, good for him. I mean, it's because uh, you're right. It wasn't He wasn't a slam-dunk pick, I don't think, because I had questions about him. Like, I, I watched him at Oregon. I'm like, well, you know, he has all the, all the, you know, all the throwing ability. He has the height. He's got all the, you know, all the measurables. But just on the field, he wasn't making a lot of plays that I liked. And then that Rose Bowl game against Wisconsin, he starts running. You're like, okay, he's got the speed. He's got it all. And now, yeah, you know, thrown in week two against the Chiefs, you know, just the punctured lung thing, just a weird situation, plays so well. <laughs> so weird. I mean, it's just, it, you know, you, you got to give him credit for that. And, you know, being from Eugene, hometown kid, uh, it's good to see someone like that who, you know, you know stories about him, how he's actually, a, you know, actually a good person. And I think that's right. the one thing is, you know, good guy off the field, great guy on the field. So, uh, you know, happy for him and uh, happy for the Chargers. You know, lock down that quarterback. They had Phil Rivers for so long. Now they got Herbert for a long time. You know, just figure it out now. Figure it out around the offense. Get him some weapons. Get him some coaches. And, uh, you know, hopefully get some playoff wins. It'd be great. The Jags fan that you are, though, they came at the Chargers' expense last year in the playoff game. Yeah. You had to have loved that. It was funny. It was funny, and that's just uh, I knew it was happening. It's just the Chargers' way to do it, and that's what they did. They just chargered it. Who would you rather have for the next five years, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Herbert? I'd rather have Lawrence. I think Lawrence is just a little bit better. You know, he's a little more, uh, you know, the hair is just a little the hair, longer. The hair's a little no. I just, <laughs> no, I think I think he's just a little better of a quarterback about a little bit of everything. You know, Herbert I think can run maybe a little bit better than Lawrence, but Lawrence will run when he has to too. So I, I, they're very comparable. I, you really can't go wrong, but I think Trevor Lawrence is just slightly better. I just love how this resets the quarterback market by two and a half million dollars over five years. Like Lamar Jackson got five for two sixty, and Herbert gets five for. A modest 262.5. That's so Justin Herbert. He's not going to blow the quarterback market out of the water. He frankly probably didn't want as much as Lamar Jackson because he's like, yeah, I want to work for it. I want to get an MVP like Lamar Jackson did before I actually get paid as much as him. That's probably what he said. But his agent, well, you know, whoever his agent is, I, I don't know. But he said, hey, just get a little bit more like than Lamar. We can't put that, that on your financial resume. Can't I can't let that. that happen on my watch. Okay. Right. Exactly. I'm not going to puncture your financial lung right now. Okay. Like I'm going to make you the highest paid quarterback in the league. Cause it doesn't matter. Justin, like Joe is going to get his coming up uh, shortly anyway. So I can't wait. I think this is great. There's been a lot of good NFL news today. The NFL is murmuring. There's rumblings. And what I mean by that is there, there's news starting to come out and, you know, ESPN, NFL Network, they'll recycle it all day, every day, trading it like the, the most important stories that they can because that's how the content business works. But the big picture is we're starting to get some actual guys on the field in, in training camp. And what that means is, look, hopefully no one gets seriously injured at training camp, but inevitably someone's going to have a season-ending injury at camp somewhere. 
among the 32 camps. It happens each and every year, and it's, you know, from a football standpoint, it's heartbreaking. But the shape of the season, someone's eventually going to raise to Lombardi. But the way we get there starts right now. And I'm kind of fascinated to see what kind of seeds are being planted where. And what do we make of them? Is, are there any clues being left by these teams right now that we need to be paying attention to that we'll be picking up on come September, come October? You know, the, the saying is, success leaves clues. As a Seahawk fan, I always see how a season goes with Seattle, and I'm like, man, could I, could I have seen this coming? You know, 2021. When they start to struggle a little bit, they start to wobble. Russell, you know, gets mallet finger, banging it on Aaron Donald's helmet. He misses three games. Geno comes in, does all right. Russell comes back. First game with Russell back. How many points does Seattle score? Zero. At Lambeau Field, 17 to nothing. It's like, could I have seen some of that coming? Like, injuries aside, were there seeds that you could have seen coming that would have suggested Seattle was going to struggle that year? Probably. Did I see him? No, because, you know, I see the color blue a little too uh, naturally sometimes. But now I'm starting to wonder about what the Seahawks are going to do in in 2023. And if anybody knows me, obviously I'll be optimistic about that team. But I am realistic, fundamentally, with the Seahawks. If I don't think they're going to win a game, I will pick against them. If I don't think they're going to cover the spread, I will pick against them. Some may call it an emotional hedge. I do not care. I like to be right. And with the Seahawks team in 2023, Stephen, I'm feeling a little bold. I'm feeling like I'm going to muscle up with this team. And I don't care that the rivals that have run the division the last couple of years, or at least the last year, and are coming back from an NFC Championship appearance, I'm not really worried about them. I like Seattle's chances in the NFC West this year. And I'm not going to let anybody talk me out of it. So, so try to talk me out of it. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't want. I don't want to. I like the passionate, the passion that you have for the Seahawks. I mean, I, I wouldn't. You know, I wouldn't pick them. I would pick the Forty Nine ers. Uh, but you are right. Like you look at that division, the Rams. What are they going to be? Cardinals. I think we all know they're probably not going to be great. Trash. So, I mean, it's going to be down to the Forty Nine ers and the Seahawks. And we've seen the Forty Nine ers even last season. They started out very slow. There's still questions about Brock Purdy. Is he the man? Like. You're not wrong for thinking Seattle has a chance to win the division, and I think there is a legitimate chance that they could do that. You know, as long as Geno Smith is that guy, and I think that's for me. That's the question I have: is you know, he has had one really good season, and it came at such a late age. It makes me question, like, well, why didn't anybody see this before, or why didn't he have mm-hmm. this type of success early on in his career? Did it really take him this long to mature and become this type of quarterback, or was it just a one-off? It was you know, one good season? Now he gets his contract. He's not as good. So I got questions about Geno, but. I think everywhere else, you look at the skill positions. You look at the, you know, they got the, they got guys everywhere. You look at the defensive backs. You got guys there. The defense is going to be a little well, bit better the, the than defense, last season. That's the biggest question for sure. Because I mean, you wouldn't call them a a great defense. No. Obviously, they weren't even a good defense. I guess you could say they've got good players at some key spots. They just extended Chen and Wosu, their edge guy. 26 years old. He had nine and a half sacks last year. Got a three year extension. That's great. Former Charger. He's, you know, going to help anchor the pass rush, but it's kind of a toothless pass rush. I'll be honest. Last year, uh, your best middle linebacker, Jordan Brooks, tears his ACL in week 17. He's going to need some time to get back. He won't be back by the start of the season in all likelihood. So you bring back Bobby Wagner. Emotionally, awesome. Practically, 
I'm a little worried about what B-Wags can do in the middle of a defense right now. Still a very good player, but he ain't the all-pro player. Probably not even the Pro Bowl player, although we'll see. You know, the way the Rams used him last year, he blitzed way more than he would blitz in Seattle. So eager to see how, you know, Pete and Clint Hurt and, uh, and, and Carl Scott try to figure out who to deploy defensively. Jamal Adams is obviously the big piece of it, you know, and, and Jamal... Injuries have really kind of doomed him in Seattle so far, but when he's been on the field, um, he's been able to make some impacts. I wish he would be a little bit more consistent in in how he's making an impact on the field. But then you bring in a third safety and Julian Love from the Giants, free agency. Like that guy is a very versatile player, good against the run, good against the pass. Maybe you can bring him and the blitz. And that's the thing about strategic football defensively; it is evolving. So people say, how in the world are you going to have three highly paid safeties? Jamal Adams, Quandre Diggs, and Julian Love. Well, the answer is, you figure it out. That's what coaching is. You know how many spread you know, formations, multiple receiver sets are on, you know, in the NFL on offense these days? Just look at the Shanahan scheme, the McVay scheme. They're in 11 personnel all the time. That's going to be three receivers on the field. So if you don't have a cornerback that you feel like is your best option at nickel, meaning guarding the slot receiver, then bring in a guy like Julian Love. Then, you know, give yourself the versatility with three guys that can play the run and the pass equally well, and hopefully that gives you a shot to be a more consistent and more, uh, you know, a more toothy defense, if you will. At least that's the hope, and that's what I'm talking myself into. I'm also trying to talk myself into the 49ers having a couple of injuries like they uh, always seem to have every year, except for last year uh, outside of the quarterback position. That's the thing. They got so freaking lucky at QB. Are you kidding me right now? Well, You're it, saying that QB situation sustainable? Hell no. I mean, you could you could argue that the Seahawks quarterback situation, and I question it, is the most stable situation in the division. Well, I think it is yeah, yeah, it I is. Mean, Sta- are you going to go, go Stafford? I mean, I guess it would be Stafford because Kyler, that's not stable at all. Well, Stafford, it's the elbow. Kyler is not going to play for a while. And, and then you got the 49ers who, who the knows? The Niners, we got, we're going to get to that. They made some news today. Apparently, Brock Purdy's got no limitations, and yet they're putting limitations on him. So I'm trying to figure out exactly what John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan are trying to say. Let's take a quick call before we bounce a break. Mike is in Salem. He's got a Justin Herbert take. Again, breaking news today. Herbert, the big extension with the Chargers, five years, $262.5 million to reset the quarterback market. Hey, Mike. Hi. Well-deserved. Nice comments you're making about it. Uh, just uh, an aside uh, on uh, information uh, that was available in Eugene some time ago. Uh, Justin Herbert, the Ducks had no interest in Justin Herbert until – Casey Martin and his older brother Cameron uh, brought the athletic department's attention to taking a really good look at the kid. Um, they're the ones who turned the football program into taking the interest in him, but they were slow on the draw, and what a gold mine they found in him. It was uh, help, help, for the story I had heard is that Helfrich just wasn't onto it or into it, and uh, the Martin boys uh, brought his attention and caught fire from there. So, <laughs> it's amazing. Stuff. Appreciate the phone call. Isn't that great? Like, here's the thing about college football these days. It's really easy to get cynical. Really easy to get pessimistic. I don't like NIL. I don't like the transfer portal. I don't like the attitudes with these guys. 
And every so often, the sport reveals the antidote. And Justin Herbert was the antidote to everything that we feel negatively about college football. What what can you not like about this guy? Even Beaver fans liked Justin Herbert, aside from him beating him. You know, aside from 2016. Remember, like even Beaver fans pulled out a full-page ad in the Oregonian to congratulate Marcus Mariota on winning the Heisman Trophy. Like, those two guys, Mariota and, and Herbert, Oregon is so lucky to have had those two guys through their programs, through their ranks, and have those legacies. Now, I credited Helfrich with, you know, bringing Herbert to Eugene, and of course, his recruiting relationship with Marcus Mariota is well-documented. I appreciate the phone call from Mike in Salem. I had not heard that story before. But if I will let me let me grant it a modicum of validity. Casey Martin, the golf coach, the legendary golf coach, Casey, who we had on the show just a few weeks ago talking about Wyndham Clark winning the U.S. Open, the former duck golfer. He's the one that got Herbert to Eugene. Now nah, I'm oversimplifying it, but stories like that are what part of what makes the legend special. And Justin Herbert is legendary. He is Barney Stinson, Stinson, legend, wait for it, dairy. And the numbers back it up. Five years, $262.5 million. Really happy for him. It's way easier to celebrate wins on the football field. But I think as sports fans in our local market, as Duck fans know, as just fans of football in our state know, for the Eugene native, Sheldon grad, to go through, you know, what he went through, breaking his leg his high school junior year, taking over a program his freshman year in 2016 that was just in a tailspin. He liked the Chargers growing up as a kid. Now he's the starting quarterback of that franchise. He didn't have to go to Miami on literally the opposite end of the country where Dame is going to end up soon. Herbert avoided that, was picked one pick later stays on the West Coast, and is now thriving. The only piece left, as good as the story has been to this point, is win a damn playoff game. Stop messing around. Come on, Chargers. Figure it out. Nubian for Kizano. More of the Bald Face Truth coming up. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Kizano on 750 The Game. That's great. It's good talking a little Justin Herbert, and it it underscores how exciting the uh, the NFL is this year, especially the AFC quarterbacks. I mean, and all this has been bandered around, but just look at the caliber of quarterbacks in this conference right now. Even the guys that you would sleep on as like, okay, they're either washed or they've got other stuff going on, like Russell Wilson. You don't think there's a version of Russell Wilson that can be a good quarterback in 2023? I think there is. Oh, <laughs> with Sean Payton, right? You know I'm what I'm saying? I'm high on the Broncos this year. If it wasn't that division, I'd be higher. But yeah, I think Denver's going to be good. Did you see this though? Justin Herbert, year one, he's going to get a hundred million dollars. 
in his contract. That's pretty great. That uh, it tops the previous high of eighty million dollars. So yeah, I'd say that's a pretty good pay raise there. So a hundred of the two hundred sixty-two is coming in year one. And uh, yeah, two hundred eighteen point seven million dollars in guarantees. That guy is a tough son of a gun. He basically played with a broken rib half the year. I mean, he got demolished week two against the Chiefs last year. Remember that Thursday night game? And he was just like, he would not. Man, I love I love watching him play football. I just need a little bit. I need to I need him to get over the hump. I'm like the only one not selling my Brandon Staley stock either. Everybody else is out on him. I'm still in on Brandon Staley, but this, you know, he got to do it this year. I mean, how much money is Joe Burrow going to get now? 280? Gotta be. Something around there? I mean, because he's... A question came in on Twitter. Is is Justin Herbert better than Joe Burrow? You were quick to say no. I'm inclined to agree with you, certainly, even though they're different types of players and and, um, better coaching staff, I think, up in Cincinnati. But you can't argue that Burrow is a more skilled quarterback than, than Herbert. But I don't know if it's by as much as everyone thinks. But, um... I mean, if you put he's, Joe he's Burrow special. with those weapons with Cincinnati, would he have made the Super Bowl just like the Bengals did? Yeah. Probably. <laughs> right? If you put Herbert on the Burrow Bengals? Yeah. In 21 with yeah. that sieve off of an offensive line? That is, that's the thing. I, I You know, credit Burrow. He's really good at getting the ball out quick. Herbert, he's not, a, he's not as, um... You know, he's not one, two, three, just get the ball out like the way that Burrow kind of had to be in 2021. Herbie can, you know, take a hit and he can extend the play and then launch it 75 yards. I don't think Joe can launch it 75, but he can launch it 65 maybe. But there's some great, even uh, Baltimore's got Lamar, right? People kind of sleeping on him. But now that the contract is resolved, he's got every incentive to stay on the football field and play at his highest level. Let's not forget how dynamic an athlete that guy is. Dare I say Deshaun Watson? It's been a while, but it wasn't that long ago that he was an all pro. You know, one of the better quarterbacks in the league, you know, and now he's who knows what he's got going on off the field, but he's got a little bit more on field experience with Stefanski and that system there. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence and uh and what they're building in Jacksonville he's on the rise Josh Allen and Tua are established and then Aaron Rodgers and these are established guys right that have done it and, and have done some there's evidence behind them to suggest that they've got bright futures Tua is the one I'm just looking at with a side eye for the concussions the health stuff but if he stays healthy I mean we saw what the, Miami was able to do last year when he was healthy He's great. He was great, yeah. I mean, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell, I mean, they were the most explosive team in the NFL. I mean, you remember the comeback they had against the uh, against the Ravens. They ended up beating the Bills in that weird game uh, down in Miami. I mean, that was yeah, the Ken Dorsey smash the camera yeah. game. <laughs> and, and then they almost pulled off the upset in, in round one of the playoffs. Like, they were up in the second half over the Bills up in Buffalo. So, and that was without Tua. Like, yeah. that, that Dolphins team with Tua, you know, they could be a special team that, could compete for a Super Bowl. Yeah, that's how good they are. I've got to figure out, you know, who I think is coming out of the AFC. Last year, I predicted the Chiefs to win the AFC, and I'm trying to remember who I had coming out of the the NFC. Um, after it was not Philadelphia. I think it was San Francisco. Yeah, it was the Chiefs in San Francisco. Is was my prediction, and it almost, you know, it almost materialized. But I loved. 
just the overall, the Chiefs, you know, they had lost the AFC title the year before. They lost the Super Bowl the year before that, but they're still building something. This year, it's it's so hard to repeat in the NFL. So that alone, I, I feel like the Chiefs will have to overcome the odds in that respect. But it'll be fascinating to see who comes out of the AFC this year all the way around. It's, um, it's, it's going to be a really great season of football that will start September 7th. Something like that when the Detroit Lions play in prime time. What world are we living in? Uh, we got more audio from Giacazzano and Pac 12 Media Day that uh, we want to get to. The Shadur Sanders conversation we aired yesterday. John wrote about it this morning, called it a shaky interview. Uh, said he just wasn't sure what exactly went wrong. Was it, was it him? Was it me? If you missed that conversation, I encourage you to find it on the podcast from yesterday's show. Uh, fascinating. This is Shadur's teammate, Travis Hunter, two-way star on Coach Prime's Colorado Buffaloes. And this was, uh, this was pretty fun, Kazano catching up with Travis Hunter and getting to know him a little bit on the Bald Face Truth at Media Day. We are with Travis Hunter. Travis, how you doing? Good. How you doing? Tell me uh, what Media Day is like for you. If you're going to describe it, your family asks you, how did that go? Uh, hectic. Walking yeah. around, 1,100 miles. Yeah. <laughs> no, nah, like it. it's, it's pretty much just getting the conversations yeah and is it the, is it the same talk over and over is it the same questions everybody wants to know about what what's the question you're getting uh high school prom what is the what is what is it like at colorado and if i'm playing both sides of the ball yeah i don't care about any of that gotcha i want to know about you as a person tell me uh tell me your favorite teacher growing up favorite teacher yeah, yeah or I would who, say my coach one of my football coaches yeah when i moved to georgia he was the only one to actually believe in me really who was that his name is Coach. We call him Coach Fonte. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, what did that mean to you when he he saw something in you? Uh, it meant a lot because he stayed stayed with me through everything. So, like, he used to pick me up every day for school, for practice. He made sure I had anything I needed. Yeah. He was at every game, even if I was playing basketball outside of football. So. What did that mean to you? It means a lot because he actually trusted me. He trusted in the process just like I had to. Yeah. I think uh, a lot of times we see you guys and we go, we see who you are and we see who's coaching you now. There's a lot of coaches that have been in your life yes, to this point. And uh, did you play other sports? What did you? Uh, yeah, I played basketball. Basketball, yeah, football. Played basketball. Football. You miss basketball? Yeah, that's kind of my thing I like to do outside of football. Yeah. Other than fishing, yeah. Yeah, and fishing? Yeah, fishing is like my main priority outside of football. Okay, tell me about that. Where, where like, when you say fishing, where are you in your mind? Uh, I just bought a boat, like, recently, like, I'd probably say two months ago. Yeah. Ago. So, yeah. Well, in May, so, yeah. You enjoying that? Yes, I love it. You love being, what do you like being about being on the boat? Just, you got to be patient, catching fish, got there on, on your own time. You yeah. Relax. So. It's away from everything, huh? Yeah, away from everything. Yeah, I like that. Did you grow up fishing? Did somebody? Yeah, I grew up fishing. Who did you go fishing with as a kid? Uh, me and my cousin. One of my cousins' name is TJ. Yeah. Well, we call him TJ. His name is Terry. Yeah. But, yeah, we went fishing almost every day in the summer. I don't yeah. think we missed a day in the summer to go really? fishing. Really? We walked every day to fishing. Even if it was before practice or after yeah. practice, we walked to fishing. What did you guys catch? Peacock bass and largemouth. Okay. That's what I think. You're experienced, man. You'd like you'd like Oregon. I know I will. That's yeah. what I said. But yeah. you know what else is a good spot that I recently just went to two times? Arizona. Really? Yeah, Arizona is stacked with fishing. They've got yeah, they've got good fishing. See that's Travis Hunter, our fishing guide. <laughs> we could have you do a, like a weekly fishing report. See me, I'm trying to be a pro at the football. Yeah. Fishing pro. Yes, yeah. Sir. Do you watch the fishing shows? 
on TV. I don't watch them on TV, but I watch a lot of fishing on YouTube. Pretty, you do? Pretty much everybody I'm subscribed to is probably fishing. What do you learn by watching those? Can you learn things about fishing? Uh, or is it, it? You can learn a lot. I mean, it shows you, like, if the wind is blowing a certain type of way, what baits to use. If it's no wind, if it's calm outside, what baits to use. If it's a lot of brush piles and stuff, it's different different type of things you can use. What, yeah. what, what to go at in certain bodies of water to fish, though. When I grew up, we would go fishing, and what I remember is losing lures. Yeah. Get, get not catching anything all those terrible I, I times. I just learned my lesson by breaking poles. So. Yes. <laughs> I just broke, I got, I broke three poles in like the past week. I don't even know how it happened. Really? Yeah. Well, you're, you're looking for big fish, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Travis Hunter is with us. Uh, the expectations for Colorado this season, a lot of, lot of attention. How does that feel for you? Uh... Hey, man, I'm just ready to just go play football. Yeah. I mean, expectations really don't mean nothing to me because at the end of the day, me and our team have a job to do, and that's to win. Yeah. You uh, Are you good at blocking that out, that noise? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm You have to good. be. I right? have to, yeah. I yeah. mean, coming from what I was in high school, I had to block out a lot of noise to become yeah. what I am today. What, so go back to that. It wasn't that long ago mm -hmm. that you yeah. were in high school, <laughs> but I think – People, most people don't understand what it is to be recruited the way you're recruited and to have the spotlight yeah. that you do. Uh, who helped you handle that? Uh, I pretty much say myself. I mean, I, I learned how to block a lot of stuff out through my cousin, but I pretty much learned, like, I don't need that. Attention is not what I'm seeking. Yeah. Travis Hunter with us, defensive back, receiver. Do I do the defensive back first or the receiver first? What do you Whatever like? Whatever you like. What do you like? If you were... If you're introducing yourself and they say, what do you play? Sometimes I have my days. Sometimes I'd be like, oh, I want to be a receiver today. Sometimes yeah. I want to be a DB. Yeah. You never know. You're just having fun. Did you did you do that when you were a kid? I'm sure you did. You yeah. played both sides, played all different positions. I played a lot of positions. Yeah. I was little. How does it help you if you're learning different positions? Uh, it helps you learn, like, the coverages, the alignments on the offense. So, like, if I'm a defensive back, I know – what type of plays or what type of routes I'm getting through mm -hmm. the alignment, alignments because I'm Because you know that side of the ball. Yeah. You know how receivers think. Mm -hmm. I think that's a huge advantage. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, your coach is obviously going to get a bunch of attention. You get a lot of questions about him. and mm -hmm. But the thing I like about him is, uh, you know, what I see on social media is I see good values. I see he's trying to make you better people, not just football players. Yeah. I'd be better men back at home. Yeah. What kinds of things does he do to help you that way? Uh, he pretty much, we have a preacher that come in every Wednesday uh -huh. at school, so we pretty much have to just, he just help us, like, gel with each other, help us build, like, he makes sure we're respectful, doing anything we're doing, so. Yeah, interesting, a lot of quarterbacks in here, mm -hmm. defensive back and you probably uh, salivating, mm -hmm. a lot of, there'll be a lot of footballs in the air this season <laughs> yes, sir. against Colorado, you like that challenge, having Caleb Williams and Bo Nix and Cam Rising coming after you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Ain't nothing new to me, man. I've been having to worry about this all my all my life. I love that. All right, Travis, good to meet you, man. Thank you. Good to spend some time with you. Thank yes, you. Appreciate you. No problem. It's fun getting to know these guys. These Colorado cats, Shanur and Travis Hunter, uh, with Kanzano at Media Day. They, I, I kind of want to watch every Colorado game now. I can see why they're going to sell out. I can see why national TV wants uh, the majority of their games, especially their big games. If I'm a Duck fan. Sounds like Rob Mullins told Kinzano that that game's already sold out on the 24th, the uh, conference opener, Coach Prime and Autzen. Yeah, I think he might have said maybe it's, like, really close. So, yeah. So, so I, you know, get them fast. Get them 
fast. Good luck. Godspeed. But these guys, every time John asks them about, you know, the season and the attention, they're saying, oh, it's nothing new. It's nothing new. It's nothing new. It's not a surprise. I've had attention my whole life. I've won everywhere I've been. I can win anywhere. And that that's some serious confidence, and I don't have any problem with confidence, but, I mean, if they're right, that means they're going to go walk right into the Pac-12 and win the thing. They are not phased by any of the criticism at all. And there has been a lot of criticism, not only in Pac-12 circles, but around the nation of just what they've been doing and how they went about their business, and they just don't care. They do not care. It is. It's cool to see. I love it. I think it's a little bit refreshing to see that they don't care so much. Now, good. I would love to hear more out of Shador, get to know him a little bit more. But he is what he is. And he, I listened to it again today. I've listened to it now four times. The Shador interview. There's definitely cringe moments, but like, you know, he's also almost kind of cringy, fascinating. I don't think it was as bad as it definitely was not as bad as I thought it was the first time that I listened to it. I agree. And it's kind of grown on me. But at the same time, there are certain moments in that interview where Shadur is intentionally being a little difficult without question. And that I'm like, huh, okay. And it's, you know, it's hard on John, but John's a freaking pro. And it's like you said, it's like if it works and Colorado, you know, wins a couple games to start the season and they're two and one and they go down to Eugene, like there is going to be a hype train like we've never seen before. And and it's going to be so much fun. Now, they still play Colorado State, who's a solid team. Uh, they have a good coach. You know, they could lose is that, that Nor- game. Norvell, Mike Norvell is at Colorado State. Jay, Jay Norvell. That's what I said. Yeah, yeah. Jay. That's yeah, what I meant. Yeah. Not what I said. What I meant. You right. Know. Yeah. yeah no, I got you. Yeah, yeah. Simpatico. Yeah. Finishing but, uh, each other's sentences. <laughs> ah, yes. yes. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's uh, they could be zero and three going to Eugene, but they could be two and one. Like there's there's a lot of variance in this team, and that's why September maybe is the best college football month because we talk about these seasons to death, and then it's like. You know, we get to see if the predictions are true. Exactly. And we get to see it fast with, with guys like Colorado. So that'll be a lot of fun. Do you think there's they could hit their win total by October? I mean, they could. Like, what, is it three and a half? Three and a half. So I, I wouldn't. They can't, be, I wouldn't they can't beat Oregon. No, I don't think Travis they can, Hunter, Shadur Sanders. They're not going into Odson and winning. I don't think it's it's not Travis Hunter Shador though. Like it's like we've talked about. It. It's the line. Like the offensive and defensive line, they they can't match up with Oregon and USC. Is there any way you can just scheme around it? Any possible way? Maybe Dion is a genius. Maybe Dion can play. Maybe he gets a bionic leg by that time. I've seen his toes. I don't know that he can it's, play. It'd be like uh what's that kicker who had half a foot? Tom Dempsey. Do you know that? I didn't know he had half a foot. Half a foot from birth, had this kicking boot, 1970, Saints kicker. He had a boot? A kicking boot? He had that a kicking seemed, boot. Seems illegal. Well, people were definitely, uh, they, they pointed it out at the time. They're like, I don't know if that's legit. He kicked a 63-yard <laughs> yeah, yeah. field goal, Saints-Lions in New Orleans. And I think it was 1970. I don't know, though. I can't remember. I wasn't born. But Tom Dempsey. When all coach prime with it, kicked a 63-yarder in the Superdome and was a legend. And then I think Jason Elam was the next guy to kick a 63-yarder. And it, I remember that night. That's such a random thing for me to remember. 
it was Monday Night Football. I used to watch Monday Night Football on ABC as a kid with, with my dad and my family. And Jason Elam kicked a 63-yarder. I was like maybe six years old. I lost my mind. Not even a Bronco fan. I just thought it was the craziest thing in the world to see a 63-yard field goal and for someone to make it from that far. And I was like, oh, my God. Football's the greatest sport in the world. <laughs> I just saw Jason Elam kick a 63-yard field goal on Monday Night Football. I'm in heaven. This is amazing. Oh, man. Football's the best. Late July, Jason Elam talk. That's why you come to the show. Uh, we'll reset more Media Day audio coming up on the other side. Still got a Justin Wilcox conversation and a Jed Fish conversation to get to as well. Nubian for Kazano on the Bald Face Truth. <laughs> Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Let's slam in a little punch of audio here as we round out hour two. Best sound from all around. Let's hit it. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Now, Bruce Barnum is nothing if not a seasoned media day professional. At Big Sky Media Days, Barnum tried to keep it clean, but couldn't really punch it. Then that little Hout kid did the Auburn return the kick, and that turned into a happy horse. That turned into a a bad situation for us, you know. So, almost said horse Can't do that live TV. (laughs) I almost said horse bleep, but you can't do that on live TV, except he actually said the actual horse bleep. It's football season, Steven. Bruce Barnum's already in mid-season form. He's a football guy. Uh, I expect nothing less from Coach Barnum right there. Love you, Coach Barty. And uh, the Vikes, though. Well, they picked like eighth or ninth in the big sky. Disrespect. Come on. They're going to win the thing. Uh, speaking of mid-season form, Bill Belichick doing his first presser of his training camp. He was asked about a player who has yet to report. He had some fun with it. Punch it. Lawrence Guy wasn't here for minicamp. Has he reported? Uh, the players report later this morning. Expect him to report? Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess so. Do you know what to report? Well, we'll find out in an hour or so. I don't know. I, I haven't been in there. They're doing physicals. Um, that gets started here in a few, I don't know, 8.30 or somewhere in there. So I, I don't do physicals. Doctors do those. But, yeah. Do you believe the situation is taken out of the spring as a result? Uh, no, I hope so. We'll see. It's football season. Most players play football in football season. See how it goes. <laughs> players are doing their physicals. I don't do physicals. Doctors do those. And it's football season. Normally football players play football in football season. And we're back, Stephen Vaughn. <laughs> Just <laughs> Belichick, he, he is what he is, man. And that's just it's just that's what you're gonna get. Yeah. That's what you're gonna get. I expect nothing less from him either. Coach Barnum, Coach Belichick, those are the two things I expect of those two guys, and I got it. And I got it. And uh and it's great. 
college football. Jim Harbaugh suspended four games by the NCAA. At least they're working to get to a four-game suspension for him lying to the NCAA with an investigation. Josh Pate, CBS, punch it. I don't expect this to impact them on the field in terms of a win becoming a loss. What you do have to wonder about is they've got their best shot at a national championship in maybe some of our lifetimes if you're younger. Does this impact that? That's what you have to wonder about. So it's more of a season-long, you know, locker room impact on Michigan uh, from Josh Pate that he is kind of side-eyeing right now. And, uh, you know, I can't say that I blame him. So that's our whip around through Punch It Audio. you think that affects Michigan at all? Harbaugh misses four games. Big deal, no big deal. I mean, they're cupcakes that they're playing four weeks. Yeah, I, uh, I I think it's no deal, no big deal at all. I think they'll be fine. They'll be 4-0, and then Harbaugh will come back, and it'll be all all good and dandy for the Michigan Wolverines. They got a good shot this year. All at home, East Carolina, UNLV, Bowling Green, and Rutgers. Real punishment they gave out to Harbaugh there. Comes back for the road game at Nebraska. So... Jimmy Ball game has to sit out the four cupcakes. Maybe he'll eat some along the way. Hour three coming up. Newbie for Gazzano. B F F T. From the Pack West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Gazzano. Here's Jude and Newbie with the bald faced truth. John's Media Day interviews with Jed Fish and Justin Wilcox coming up this hour. We'll have even more tomorrow. Will you believe that? The only show in town doing four days of Pac-12 Media Day. <laughs> That's just how prolific Kanzano was, man. I mean, what, what do you want me to do about it? That guy's a machine. He was a machine, and yet every interview had something unique and different about it. That just goes to show you what kind of um, what kind of skill set. John's got John's out this week working camp exceptional the wonderful kids camp with the bald face truth foundation awesome work that he and Anna put together each and every year and it takes a lot out of him I know he's got some family in town helping him out too it's just a great great atmosphere and a great environment for kids Steven I know your uh your kiddos especially your older ones out there enjoying it what's the early report the, uh, the report back today was the younger one. He participated. We dropped him off. He wasn't mad or anything. We left. And uh, the report is he had a great time. Yeah. I had uh, I got a video, saw him playing a little basketball. Uh, he had a great time. The older one had a great time, as always. He's always being competitive. So it was good times out there for the Vaughn household. That is great. That is great. You know, it's there's nothing like kids getting out there and uh, playing some sports together, meeting some new people. And uh, just having fun, all for all for a good cause. So that's what John's doing. And then when he gets back, pedal to the metal. Let's go. Let's get up with uh, with football season and a lot to get to. So speaking of, we got the Jed Fish and Justin Wilcox interviews. We'll get to those. But first, what we do every uh, day in the 5 o'clock hour, it's the five biggest stories as somebody around here sees fit. And that somebody is Stephen Vaughn. It's the 5 and 5. Let's go. The 5. Numero uno. All right, Judy. Yeah, five and five. Here we go. Number one, we haven't talked about it today, but the big kind of news was uh, Bronny James. A little unfortunate stuff. Uh, Of course, Bronny, the eldest son of Lakers star LeBron, he suffered cardiac arrest uh, on Monday. He's in stable condition at basketball practice down at USC where he's practicing with the team. Now he's out of the ICU. It seems as if 
he's going to be okay, but a very scary situation. You know, a lot of people have reached out. Damar Hamlin was one of the people that reached out as well. Mm. He's talked to him, but uh, Bronny James is only 18 years old, have cardiac arrest. Um, I had heard from one doctor that said there's like about 150 cases in sports a year of cardiac arrest, so it's very rare um, to have that. So just, you know, Thoughts go out to Bronny. You know, whatever you think about his game, you know, you don't want to see this. It's a very dangerous life situation. Hopefully he's okay. Second time this has happened at USC the last two seasons, Judah. Really? Happened last year as well, yeah. With one of the men's players? One of the men's basketball players, yep. Wow. This was Dr. Jennifer Ashton, ABC's uh, go-to physician. She's explaining uh, the situation and the nature of the cardiac arrest. Well, first of all, this cardiac arrest, sudden cardiac arrest, is very different than a heart attack. Um, of course, a heart attack can cause sudden cardiac arrest. But remember, there's electrical system in the heart. There's mechanical pumping system of the heart. They both can go wrong. The bottom line is sudden cardiac arrest means there is no heartbeat. When there is no heartbeat, there is no oxygenation to the brain and the, and the rest of the body. Um, we know this is very, very rare when it comes to competitive athletes. It happens about 100 to 150 times a year in this country. Um, and of course, it's human nature to say why, what could have caused this? Um, you know, the vast majority of cases are caused by a congenital uh, and previously undetected or undiagnosed congenital heart defect known as HCM or hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, but certainly you can have this happen in a structurally normal heart. Glad he is doing all right, but real scary situation. Yeah, definitely. Man, I just, I do not want for anyone to have to go through that at any time. And the DeMar Hamlin replays will live forever in my head like this that was probably the scariest thing i've i've seen in sports and maybe life obviously i was watching on tv but still yeah i mean it's, the, it's cardiac crazy. arrest a little different than a heart attack yeah. i don't really I'm no, I'm no doctor from what my research was like she said you know it just stopped you know eating basically and uh just eat. during a workout yeah just during a workout so you know just uh yeah you gotta get your thoughts out to uh brian james there man i'm glad he's doing better all right, number two of the five and five. Well, more happier news, and we talked about this a little bit today. The Chargers and quarterback Justin Herbert, they have agreed to terms on a five-year, $262.5 million contract extension, making Justin Herbert the highest-paid NFL player. Now, some little interesting details about this contract. There's a full no-trade clause kicker in the contract for Justin Herbert. Ooh. He also will be making $100 million in the first year of that contract. Not bad. Be a little uh, bump in payday. And with this contract, Judah, it makes Patrick Mahomes the eighth highest paid quarterback in the NFL. Make that make sense to me somehow. Well, because it doesn't. As the cap expert that I am not, but Patrick Mahomes, when he signed his deal, he knew he was leaving money on the table, and he did so intentionally. He went to Chris Jones. And he went to Travis Kelsey and he said, I took less so that you guys could re-up. Basically doing what Brady did during a lot of his time in New England. And you got to you gotta respect that. Now, Patrick Mahomes also had, what, 10 years and $500 million? Like, the, yeah. stick, the sticker shock was like, what? But heck of a deal for the Chiefs. Chiefs came out smelling like a rose in that deal. I think... 
I feel like Herbert could have gotten a little bit more here too, but it feels like Herbert didn't want to like make t- he wasn't going out for the money. That there's one thing it feels like we know about Justin Herbert. He just wants to win and he loves football. And that's that's all he really cares about. He's even said as much too. Like he's had quotes that are basically like, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna miss time with the team because of this contract. Like I wanna win, I wanna be out there with the guys and getting better. So uh, yeah, I think it's it's all about timing. Now you got you know Joe Burrow, he'll be on the clock, and then it'll be Trevor Lawrence on the clock, and it just you know keep raising these prices. But two hundred sixty-two and a half million dollars uh, for a guy who hasn't won a playoff game, mm. just all potential or what? Wow. Are you, I mean, just too six, much faith. No, he, he's you gotta a sh- show me the money, show me the playoff win, and show me the money. That's the Stephen Vaughn way. Who uh, who would you take going forward, Joe Burrow or uh, Justin Herbert? Joe Burrow, no question. No question, huh? No, I love Justin Herbert, but Joe Burrow is he is he is that guy. <laughs> yeah, no, you're gonna say he's got more talent, etc. It's it's true. Like Justin Herbert could thrive with a Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. He's had Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, but they've both been banged up and then you know and Herbert is so, so tough. Burrow is just got a slightly more advanced uh, consistent accuracy and pre and post snap. Like Herbert doesn't get confused that much, but he does rely on his physical raw ability in a way that Burrow doesn't have to. Burrow doesn't have the strongest arm, but he can beat you with any throw anywhere on the field at any time of the game. And by the way, he's won some really, really big games, home playoff games, road playoff games. I mean, what is he? How many playoff games has Joe Burrow won already? One, two, three, his first playoff year. And then he won another two playoff games the year after that. I mean, he's won a lot in the playoffs. Herbert needs to do that before he gets to that level. Chargers, eighth best odds in the AFC to win the AFC right behind the Jaguars. Uh, 13 to one for the Chargers. And then win total nine and a half for the LA Chargers. Wow. Justin Herbert. Going a- a- AFC is loaded. Yeah, AFC loaded, but someone's going to slip. I mean, Chiefs, Bills, Bengals, Jets, Dolphins, Ravens, Jags, all ahead of the Chargers. Look, you don't go on hard knocks and then win the Super Bowl. That's that's how it goes. And I like Rodgers, but I don't. That's not smelling good to me. Number three of the five and five. Speaking of record-breaking money. Jalen Brown and the Celtics, they agreed to a five-year, $304 million Supermax extension to stay in Boston for the 26-year-old. He averaged 26.5 points, seven rebounds, three and a half assists a season ago. Of course, there were rumors that uh, Portland was interested in Jalen Brown, and Jalen Brown was interested in Portland. That obviously did not happen because he was not going to turn down $100 million, but it is the highest or the most, uh, the biggest contract in NBA history, Jalen Brown. Yeah, really, it is three hundred four million dollars with the supermax. Boston locked into the Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown duo, along with Joe Mazzula as the team got to the Eastern Conference Finals, lost a Game Seven at home to the Miami Heat after the year before when they went to the NBA Finals, lost to the Golden State Warriors. But uh, you know, great timing for Jalen Brown to be All NBA. He's a two-time All Star, two-time All NBA. Get that supermax deal. That's the type of money you can get when you're that age and you're that good. $304 million. Also, fun fact, Jeremy Grant makes exactly half that. Over five years? Over five years. Exactly half of Jalen Brown. Or Deshaun Eichen, friend of the show. I saw that tweet, yeah. 
Well, hell of a deal for the Blazers. We're over here arguing if it's an overpay for Jeremy Grant, and he's only making half of what Jalen Brown makes. $304 million, though. I mean, is that is that worth – is he worth it to give $304 million to? I mean, I don't think so because Jalen – like, you're talking about the biggest contract in NBA history, like Jalen Brown, that money for a guy that struggles to dribble with his left hand. Like, you know, ridiculous athlete and all that. I get it, but – did they have to get to that number? Yeah, I think that they did. Is it locked in with that extension? Like, that's the thing with the NBA. A lot of these extensions that you're eligible for, it's like pretty plug-and-play numbers-wise. Like, not a ton of negotiating. I know there's some, but I don't know how much room you actually have. It's pretty slotted. It's one of those things where, you know, are you just going to not re-sign him and try to get whatever you can in the sign-and-trade deal? But then he also has to sign off on it as well and sign that contract as well. Like, if you're going to lose him, you're going to lose him for not a lot. So if you're Boston, you know, you're, you're the second favorite in the NBA to win the NBA championship right behind the Nuggets. you got to keep going for it. I mean, this team is good enough to win a title. I know that there's a lot of skeptics about that, but this Boston team is really good, and they can win an NBA championship at any point. So I think you had to do it, and it made a lot of sense. Now, it's a lot of money for sure. Uh, it's just all about timing. A lot of times in the NBA, especially, it's all about timing. Remember the Alan Crabb contract Oosh. here in Portland with the salary cap raising. But the cap will raise a little bit. Other guys will get this contract. But for right now, Jalen Brown, highest paid player ever in the NBA. All right, number four. Number four, Northwestern. They've been in the news for some uh, hazing incidents. Not good. Not good in the news. But they will not be going to media day. The football players will not be attending Big Ten media day. They will not be facing the facing the questions. And we saw this in the Pac-12. Jaden Delora did come to Pac-12 Media Day as he was uh, in the news for some criminal offenses. And he answered the questions. Northwestern will not be answering anything. They will not be as uh, they just fired their coach, Pat Fitzgerald. Michael Schill, former Oregon president. He's the president over there at Northwestern dealing with this whole thing. What do you think about that? Not sending the guys to Big Ten Media Day to get asked a bunch of questions. Makes sense to me. Because who knows what these college kids are going to say. Like, it's hard to coach them up on exactly what's happening. If you haven't read the stories, I advise go reading these hazing stories. They are, they're terrible. They're really bad. And And this is going back a ways now. Like, a lot of players coming out now. Yeah, this is going back years of, you know, like when Pat Fitzgerald played with them, like in the 90s. Like, 20, 30 years is going back. So, this is a culture of what has happened. And I understand why they're not sending the players immediately day. Because you can't you can't coach someone up fast enough to answer these type of questions. No, but yeah. they're not sending them to media day, so the talk at Big Ten Media Day will be more about football and probably about you know USC UCLA coming in next season than Northwestern. I, I feel for the players, man. That's for the players that have done everything right on the up and up. You know that are that are good representatives of the program. For them to to go through this is not not great. Michael Schill's role is just, I'm still confused. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of stuff that predated him, but the way that he's gone about handling this has been odd to me, and I just wonder if he regrets leaving Oregon. He had it pretty good here. I I would imagine so after all that's <laughs> happened here. Uh, but, yeah, I totally agree. Don't send him to media day. There's no, there's no advantages to be gained by that, and that's coming from somebody in the media. Number five. Number five, 49ers general manager, John Lynch. He said Brock Purdy, who underwent offseason elbow injury. Of course, he got hurt in the NFC title game. He's been cleared without restriction. 
He's ready to go for training camp. Now, according to you, Judy Newby, 49ers the second best team in the NFC West. But <laughs> you look at the odds boards, they are the favorite in the NFC West and one of the favorites in the NFC to come out and get to the Super Bowl. Brock Purdy, second year at Iowa State, came on after all the injuries to Jimmy Garoppolo, Trey Lance. Looks like he'll be the guy going into training camp in preseason. Brock Purdy, QB1 for the 49ers. Well, Kyle Shanahan is QB1. You know, I made that joke yesterday that Kenny Dillingham was going to play quarterback for the Sun Devils. But Kyle Shanahan is is the joystick at the QB position. Everything's scripted out for his guys, what he wants them to do with the ball and when. You know, there's not a whole lot of autonomy. And that's what makes that offense work. Because it gets the ball in the hands of Debo and McCaffrey and these great athletes and gets them in space. The, the football is about space. It's all it's about. And Shanahan uses the joystick that is Brock Purdy to make the most out of capitalizing on space. Throw Ayuk in there as well. Then you've got the strong defense that the 49ers always seem to have when they're healthy. And that's their recipe to win games. And it's it's really worked for them. But I don't know that it's going to work for them two years in a row. I mean, they win the division in 2019. They win 13 games. Seahawks win the division in the COVID year, 2020. Rams win the division in 2021, win the Super Bowl as a four seed. Niners win the division in 2022, go to the NFC title game. But it rotates. It's really hard to win this division two years in a row, especially for a Niners team that they get bit by the injury bug every other year. It's a Bosa that's going down. McCaffrey, we know his injury history. Debo is the hard, hardly the, uh, the example of 16, 17 games playing in a year. Trent Williams is another year older. He's super important. Oh, and by the way, they have another change of defensive coordinator. Or you not. could say I'm talking myself into it, but look, I, look, I've got questions about the 49ers, and it's partly the quarterback position, but it extends elsewhere. 49ers minus 160 to win the NFC West, while your Seahawks plus, save your money plus C, 195 for your Seattle Seahawks. Spend your money. 49, 49ers <laughs> second favorite in the NFC to advance to the Super Bowl at four to one, ten to one to win the Super Bowl. Just don't like the value. That's your uh, five and five. That was five, right? That was yeah. All right, thanks, Stephen. Thank you. Appreciate that very much. Yeah, this was John. Uh, John Lynch was was talking at. Uh, a little bit earlier today, the 49ers were opening training camp. I thought I had the audio clip. Maybe I didn't actually pull it. But, yeah, John uh, John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan were talking with media and just basically breaking down that, uh, that Brock Purdy is available. He is healthy. He's got no restrictions. But we're also going to keep him on a pitch count. So everybody's, like, saying, well, he's saying he has no restrictions, but then you're restricting him. And, yeah, it's a, it's a non-story, but... The bigger question for me is, like, are they going to play all three quarterbacks this season? Because Darnold, you know, people make the jokes about Darnold, but in the right situation, the right scheme, he can win you a game. He did it with Carolina and Ben McAdoo. Went into Seattle, won a road game. Like, he he still got enough. Like, you don't think Kyle Shanahan can work with that guy? He worked with Nick frickin' Mullins. All right? He can work with anybody. And Trey Lance, I would say the same thing. Like, I want to see how many games Trey Lance plays this year. And then with Purdy, he's probably the best option that they have, but now the book's out on Brock Purdy. He didn't have to play until, what, late October last year? And now you're going to put it all on his shoulders for 17-plus games? I don't think so. So, yeah, I, I got some questions, and uh, they're, they're kind of fascinating, it, it, uh, the 49ers. 
The one thing I've got in the back of my mind is, am I still sleeping on the Rams? And the fact that their roster is thin, they've lost a lot of talented players, but Stafford and Cup are back in legitimately, you know, hopefully healthy for the start of the year if you're the Rams fan. You give me Sean McVay, Matthew Stafford, and Cooper Cup, you're telling me that team's not going to be feisty? It certainly seems like for the 49ers that Purdy will be ready by week one. I think that was the question after the injury, and you knew he had the surgery, was, you know, Brock Purdy is the number one quarterback on that team. And I think when everyone healthy, we all knew that, but it was just when is he going to be able to come back healthy? And it does seem like now it's on schedule. He he's on the he's on the pitch clock, but he's not on the pitch clock. Whatever it is, I think they are saving him, getting him ready for week one. It seems like Purdy will be back for week one in the 49ers, and I think that's what they need. And you know, going forward, trying to get that uh, Super Bowl. Can't wait. It'll be a lot of fun. More uh, NFL training camps coming up. We'll bounce to break and and come back. And when we do, we'll hear from uh, Jed Fish, the Arizona head coach. He'll uh, his Pac-12 media day with John Cazzano on Friday. We'll get to that interview and also Justin Wilcox. Hopefully we can smash them both in if we've got time. I've just been waxing poetic on all things football today. Got to actually get to what I had on the rundown, right? Unless you want to throw out the rundown, which we can do too. Newbie in for Cazzano right here on the Bald Face Truth. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, I can't help myself. Uh, before we get to the Jed Fish conversation, let's uh, take a call. Sam in Vancouver, resident Niner fan. Hi, Sam. Hey. So, I mean, I, I completely understand where you're coming from with having, you know, Brock Purdy and Mr. Irrelevant and everything like that. But I think just everybody's treating him like he had no experience going into the NFL. The guy played, like, over 40 games. He did go up against Jalen Hurts when he was at Iowa State against Oklahoma, and Oklahoma ended up winning 42-41. to 41. But, I mean, I don't know if anybody recalls, that was one heck of a game. Both put up awesome friggin' stats. Geno Smith's total career in, like, the NFL is 22-29. and 29. I'm not trying to discredit him. It did really good with the Seahawks last year. But, you know, if, if it's Darnold or if it's Purdy, I mean, it's, Whoever it is, I mean, it's just like Brock Purdy's going to do something, and it's a great system, and a lot of people can just go in and do that. But I just think that, you know, it's it, like a lot of Seahawks fans, it's like, man, you know, you just got to gotta look at stuff on paper sometimes and, you know, kind of take the hatred out because I can't stand the Seahawks, but I'm trying to go on a level-minded here. So I'll take your thoughts on that. It's just Brock Purdy's got more experience than a lot of people give him credit for uh, I think that he just has got been put up on a pedestal like he has to win a championship to prove anything I think he's proven a lot already so you don't have to tell duck fans too by the way I don't know what it is about 49er fans named Sam I know like four different Sams in my life and they're all Niner fans except my best friend out in New England is predictably a Pats fan named Sam but shout out Sam in Vancouver Niner fan says you got to look at things on paper sometimes like I said, you don't have to tell Duck fans. That Fiesta Bowl, you know, it was Matt Campbell, Brock Purdy, and uh, Brees Hall, and Iowa State against 
Anthony Brown, Tyler Shuck, that Oregon. I mean, the COVID year was nutty, obviously, but Iowa State really handled Oregon that day in uh, the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl in Arizona. Purdy was a great college quarterback, played there for a long time. Um, but a lot of guys play a lot of college football and have limited ceilings in the NFL. I'm not really, I'm not knocking Brock Purdy. I think he's a very good quarterback in that system. It just goes to show you how much of a genius Kyle Shanahan is. Because, look, Nick Mullins had, like, the highest passer rating in the league for four games when he was the quarterback in Kyle Shanahan's system. Have you heard of Nick Mullins outside of the 49ers? Hell no. What's the common denominator? It's Mike's kid, not the QB. And that's the biggest thing. You expect Jimmy Garoppolo to ball out in Vegas? Okay, call me when that happens. These aren't great players that Kyle's worked with. Kyle's a star. He's one of the greatest to ever do it. That's the story. I do think his point, though, of Geno Smith in the NFL is valid, too. You know, and I know you don't want to hear this, Judah. You you love yourself some Geno Smith, but, again, we talk about you know proving it on the field, on paper. Like, this is a guy that hasn't been a starting quarterback very long in the NFL, and he's in his 30s. Is, is there a reason why? Is it is Maybe it's just the Seahawks system. And you could say that, too. The Seahawks culture is great. I mean, they're usually really good. And, you know, last year we thought they weren't going to be very good. They surprised everybody to make the playoffs. And I think a lot of it had to do with the culture of Seattle and the series. But man, to say that Geno Smith, you know, is, you know, a, a better upgrade over Brock Purdy right now. I think it's tough to say that even, and I'm not even a Brock Purdy guy either, but it's, it's hard to say any of the quarterback situations in the NFC West is great right now. Do you know who led the NFL in passer rating with, of passes 20 or more yards down the field. Well, probably year. Geno Smith, I guess. Who's Geno Smith? You see Brock Purdy putting things in a bucket 20 yards down the field? Just look at the Cowboy film. Look at the Seahawk film. He can't do it. He runs a system. Yeah, Geno Smith's a better quarterback than Brock Purdy. It's not hard. Brock Purdy's got Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel, Trent Williams, and Kyle Frickichetti and Brandon Ayuk. Like, I don't think you have to overcomplicate it. You know, Fair. Stafford is a great quarterback. Like, let's not forget the only like it was a season from hell last year. And partly, you know, they brought it on themselves because they sold their souls to the devil for a Super Bowl and they won. So good for them, the Rams. But, you know, the year two post Super Bowl, ah, I still th- I think you're right. I would say the 49er QB situation is a little bit more stable than the Rams because of Stafford's health. And that's how much faith I have in Kyle. But Gino, you're I'm a fan, so I'm probably a little bit biased. But I do think that Gino is still getting slept on. Still getting slept on a little bit. And he was really good last what, season. For what he's done. That's the thing. He was really good last season. And he could be, you know, he but just it, figured yeah, it's it out. Just sample and, size. And matured. Yeah, it's just the sample uh-huh. size. I need to see it a little bit more before I'm all in on Gino Smith as my franchise quarterback. <laughs> I mean, think about the other. It's, think it's about the scary. draft, Judah. You were all in on drafting Anthony Richardson if he fell to five. Now you're all yeah, in on Geno Smith. Well, you know, I think Geno is getting slept on, but you know, two things can be true. Planning the next decade of Seahawk football, like obviously Geno is doesn't have the ceiling that I think Anthony Richardson has. Okay, but if when Gino, you're picking it, fifth, you got to muscle up and capitalize with something awesome. And I, as much as I like Geno Smith, it's not worth. Not drafting Anthony Richardson at five in my book. Like, that's that's why. I thought Anthony Richardson 
could win Super Bowls. But if Gino's the you guy, know? he'll be 33 in October. He'll have four more years of good football. Well, you can't. You can't. No, put we in... don't have him for four more years. We got him for three. Okay, but you can't have Anthony Richardson on the bench for three years. Like you well, couldn't do obviously, that. you you know, you you deal with that when you deal with that. This is like the Trailblazers. It, this you... is Trailblazer fans arguing that Anthony Simons is a great point guard, a great lead guard. Well, then you want to trade Dave and you want to put Anthony Simons there. You want Geno Smith to be the best, but you also want Anthony Richardson. It doesn't make any sense. How how does that not make sense? Because you're putting two assets in the quarterback that. What would, you could go other places if Geno's so good and he can lead you to the Super Bowl, just go with Geno. Build around him. One's 33 years old, one's 21 years old. Yeah, but these quarterbacks play forever now. No, what? No, they don't. <laughs> yeah, huh? if, he's, if he's good, he'll be until he's 38. He'll be, he'll be still really good. I mean, thank no, God. That's, that's, no, now you're trying a little too hard. You're saying a thir- just because I think Geno's a good quarterback at 33 that he's going to be a great quarterback at 38? That's not even not even in the same ballpark of discussion. You know this. You're just trying to poke the bear. You can talk, like I just said it, with Mahomes. Mahomes goes 10th overall. You think that's a, you can't have Alex Smith and Patrick Mahomes? You can't have Aaron Rodgers and, and Brett Favre? You can't have... A rookie quarterback in the first round with with a veteran for one year, two years, and then you figure it out later. That, that that's the job of being Di- an NFL executive. It's different eras, though. Different eras now. You but you draft how? a young quarterback. How long can you realistically keep a young quarterback on the bench? You look at Atlanta. They you just look at Jordan Love. They kept him on the bench, and they had they kept their quarterback around. They dealt with two and a half years of drama, won two MVPs, didn't get back to a Super Bowl, but now they're set up. Anthony Richardson, I think, has much higher ceiling than Jordan Love. Oh, agree. I agree. I, I like Anthony Richardson as a prospect. I think he's really good. I just I, I just think if Geno is as good as you're saying he is, why would, you wouldn't even consider drafting a quarterback. Not yet. I I think you're misconstruing how good you think I'm saying Geno is. I said Geno's better than Brock Purdy. How is that a reach? Geno is better than Brock Purdy does not mean don't draft Anthony Richardson. We'll see. I think you're trying a little too hard. Yeah. <laughs> By the way. Seahawks 49ers Thanksgiving night Ooh. in Seattle this year on Thursday night football. Nothing wrong with that. And I think, I hope, I don't know this for sure, but I think Seattle is going to be wearing their throwback uniforms. Their old school 90s Rick Meyer uniforms that they that they busted out of the garage this week. You're very excited about that. You you let Dude, me know I, as soon as as soon as you saw it. Yeah. I love I love those uniforms because that hits a place in my 90s Seahawk fandom heart. But I also hope they don't lose in those uniforms because then it's all ruined. <laughs> but Seahawks Niners Thanksgiving uh, conjures up memories of when they played on Thanksgiving. Was it 2015? Maybe they went down there to San Francisco and started eating turkey legs on NBC after beating the 49ers. Hopefully they can do it again. All right. I, I got way off course, predictably, talking Seahawks, Steven, ribbing me about my uh, my Seahawk takes. But uh, I did want to get to at least one of these coaches' interviews. Let's go Jed Fish. Jed Fish, the Arizona coach. He's always good. Gonzano caught up with the fishermen, the Tucson fishermen at Pac-12 Media Day Friday. And uh, here is that conversation here on the BFD. Arizona football coach Jed Fish is with us. Um, veteran of Pac-12 Media Day now. Really? Yeah. You, I look around. You've, you've, you've got, a, you got some mileage on you at these events. Uh, I can remember, I think your first year, I got you at the very end of the day. You were my last interview like 30, 
four interviews in. It was probably your last interview, and uh, it was a good talk. Uh, yeah. You you talked about Bill Belichick and your career, and now you got some football to talk about. Yeah, I had no voice. I think that first You're, year, <laughs> right? Right. I had like throat was, surgery like a week before. Yeah. Yeah, last year I had hernia surgery the week before. I feel great this year. But so you're here. I'm ready, You man. can play hurt. I am That's ready. That's what you prove. I am ready for yeah. this year's talk about football. Uh, let's – okay, so I thought – I think you guys could be a big surprise. Okay. I know you're looking at the media poll and you're going, great, this is motivation. Let me send this to Jaden. Let me, you know, wallpaper my office with this, with this thing. But I, I think you guys have the offense. If your defense shows up, you guys are going to be a factor. Does that mean anything to you? Probably not. <laughs> I agree. Okay. Uh, defensively, how do you? How do you I don't. I don't yeah. know. Um, you know, the the rankings are the rankings. Are, I mean, I think, uh, I think it's higher than we've been in years, uh, preseason. Okay. But uh, I don't know what any of that means, honestly. I think that what matters for us is we just got to go out and play good ball, and um, I think our defense has really, really improved over the course of the last, um, let's call it six months. A spring ball was good for us. We were able to be consistent. You know, Arizona's had eight defensive coordinators in eight years. And there's no way you could get better if you do that. And um, uh, that's why I love having Coach Nansen back for his second year. I love having uh, Coach Kafusi back. I love having the whole defensive staff back ready to go. We brought in Dwayne Aquina and John Richardson, both guys that will make huge impacts for us. Um, we brought in a lot of transfers. And we played a lot of freshmen. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at the way the defense played at the second half of the year, it's very different than they did the first half of the year. And if you look at, you know, the games like UCLA or games, um, even Washington State, uh, we played terrible on offense in that game. But uh, they got after the ball and they, they made some plays for us. And, and ASU, um, they were one-dimensional, but they threw the ball well against us. And we just got to find a way to be better on defense. And we got to stay healthy on offense. And get better on offense too i don't you know we turned the ball over too much if we don't turn the ball over and we play good defense we have a chance to win a lot of games when you're turning the ball over is it um is it uh cerebral is it a psychological thing physical mix uh i think it's the i'm trying to win the game on one throw you know i think it's the um i'm gonna force the ball in here because i don't have great experience with this play so i think coach wants me to throw it here Hmm. The, those those things are really what's um, the biggest challenge um, and was a challenge for Jaden. Um, you know, last year was year one that we were together. Um, no other quarterback that transferred in was in year one, right? Penix and DeBoer were together at Indiana. Caleb and Lincoln were together at Oklahoma. Cam Ward and the offensive coordinator were together at Incarnate Word. We didn't have any experience together. So we had to learn as we went. And, uh, you know, we down. We threw three picks against Cal, four picks against Washington State. You just can't do that. Can't do that and win games. No. The offense, um, you know, it, it, I think we oversimplify it in media. Obviously, we look, we go, hey, if your defense can play, you're going to be good. And you're focused on all facets. But what, what can you do better besides taking care of the ball on offense? I think we have to play less defense. And to play less defense, it means you have to control the clock a little better. Uh, you have to have a little better awareness of, um, you know, a second and one. Can get, you can get 40 seconds out of a second and one if you want it. Mm-hmm. You can also get six seconds out of it, right? So you got to make the decision. You get a nine-yard gain on first and ten. If you want to go super fast and get a yard, go ahead and do that. But you've just you ran a five-second play. Yeah. 
But on second and one, if you want to line up and take 40 seconds and hand the ball off and get a yard, you've now taken 40 seconds off the clock, which is 40 seconds less time that the offense on the other team is out there. So it's really important for me as the play caller, as well as the head coach, as well as the coordinator on offense, to, to really keep in mind what's the best way to help our team win and not just necessarily – you know, run one or two more additional plays. Are you reading any books? What's on your nightstand? I am reading right now. I'm reading, uh, I'm reading Atomic Habits. Okay. Which I'm a big fan of, James Clear. Um, that's a really good one right now. And then I just finished, uh, I'm a, you know, I'm a biography guy too. I just finished Parcells, mm. which was a, which was a good one. And, um, and then I kind of become a little bit obsessed with Coach K. So I've been on this, uh, this reading binge of anything that he's ever written. Do you, because you know Belichick, when you read the Parcells book, do you you kind of know some of the back story of that novel? I know a lot of you the know? back stories, and <laughs> I was uh, you know the people. I know the people, and uh, but it's it's just fascinating. And then I just finished Swagger by Jimmy Johnson, another great one. Okay. So I, I don't know. I think that there's. I always tell people this all the time. I say, you know, bad coaches don't write books. Yeah. No one's gonna buy them. They should though, and you, then you read it and go, okay, I know what not. Now to I know do. why. Yeah. So you get a chance to read about great players and great coaches and what they do. Um, I can't ever get enough of it. i got to find some maybe a way to get away from it and read some, like, Grisham book again. Yeah. But right now I've kind of been obsessed with trying to change our culture and build our culture and, and be a, a, a really good football team. Okay, on that note, um, okay, I talked with Kyle Whittingham and Jonathan Smith, and they are very culture-focused too, guys. And Kyle, you can see what he's done there at Utah. Um, he doesn't have turnover in the portal. But yet you need to have turnover in the portal to be successful where you are in the progress. So how do you build culture while getting the, having the turnover? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. And I think what we need to do is we needed to build the culture um, through high school recruiting. And uh, we've really committed to being invested in high school recruiting. That's a big part of our program. If you look at our numbers, um, we signed classes of 28 players, I would say, in the two years that I've been there. Uh, 56 high school kids. I would say the next part of it is try to bring in the right people in the portal. And then what we do is the day they walk in the building, we have a rookie development program, freshman development program. We have a um, newcomer development program. And we teach our culture. We teach what it means when we say it's personal. We teach respect, accountability, integrity, selflessness, enthusiasm. We teach what it means when we say be a pro. And we make them uh, give it back to us. Uh, today we have um, Cam Jordan speaking to our team, and uh, he just flew into Tucson this afternoon. I'm pretty upset I'm going to miss that. Uh, yesterday we had a former player that's a financial literacy um, speaker. We bring speakers in all the time, and that's the way we build our culture. It's interesting, too, when you talk about the continuity of staff, because when I think about Oregon State, they have no staff turnover. Utah keeps his assistance. Is that hard to do in today's world with – you know, oh, yeah. ambition and families involved and, and money yeah. involved and the cost, the cost to do business. Yeah. And um, coaches are getting paid a lot of money now and coaches are getting paid a lot of money to leave because of their values that they bring in recruiting and their values they bring in coaching. Um, contracts aren't binding like mm-hmm. they are in pro football. So you get someone to sign a two year deal, but it really is a two minute deal. <laughs> um, it really doesn't That's matter. That's hard. Because you because you're taught you're staring you're sharing state secrets. Yeah. You're recruiting. You think you got a line on players, and then all of a sudden somebody goes, "I can get the player if I can get the coach." That's right. It's yeah. a big challenge. Um, that's why I'm so proud of the fact that we didn't lose any coaches yeah. last year. That you know we're coming off of a a losing season, 
um, a better season than the year before, but still yeah. not where I want it. And yet everyone wanted to come back and everyone wanted to be a part of um, getting to that next level. Now the key is if you get to that next level, now does everyone want to get to the next yeah. level or yeah. are they like, now there's time. Do you, uh, you know, I've, I've covered coaches like Mario Cristobal is insane. He's there at 4.30 in the morning. His guys just get burned out. His assistants got burned out, I thought. And you got other coaches who say, no, nope, we have a family night once a week. We're off at five. Where do you stand on that spectrum? How, you know, because you worked with Belichick. <laughs> um, I stand on the spectrum of we are a task-based organization. <laughs> so when you're done with your tasks. Yeah. Then it's your time. It's your time. That's that's. I think there's a balance there. Why do you think coaches are afraid to say that? Why do you think they always want to go? Oh, I sleep at the office. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's a competition. Maybe. Maybe it makes people feel better about themselves that they've let other people know how hard they work. Yeah. You know, we work really hard as coaches, right? We all know that we work whatever forty something day, forty something seven day a week. Yeah. A year. So I mean, it is what it is. I I look at it as it's a really hard job. Um, because you're taking care of 110 boys and you're trying to get them in the best possible position to succeed. Uh, That takes a lot of time. I think, too, that if you don't have success, you don't want the perception that you didn't work hard enough. Maybe coaches feed into that. So if, hey, if I don't get the result, at least people know I'm not lazy. Correct. I'm there. I'm there. You know, I'm the last person to leave the office. But uh, I I don't think some of that is healthy for your staff, too. It's, It's good that you... You take a vacation this year? I did. Where'd you I go? I did. I was in Italy. Okay. And I was in Nantucket, so it was fantastic. All right, give us uh, Italy or Nantucket. Which one would you go back to I first? I mean, we, I've gone to Nantucket seven years in a row, so right. the answer is Nantucket. But I mean, I- Italy, yeah. I would go back to first. Yeah. Um, it was fantastic. We were in Lake Como, my wife and I. The food was amazing. The water, we were right oh. on the water. It was, it was amazing. So now I'm ready to go coach ball. All right, go did it. Thank Jet you. Fish, thank you. Appreciate you, man. Yep. Every year, Jed Fish comes through. He's always a great interview, and that one certainly qualifies on uh, Media Day at uh, in Vegas on the Bald Face Truth. We'll bounce a break, come back, and wrap up shop. Newbie in for Kizano on the Bald Face Truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Kinzano on 750 The Game. Well, we already had uh, breaking news a little while ago, about an hour and a half ago, with Justin Herbert getting big cash from the L.A. Chargers. Five years, $262.5 million. More breaking news out of Eugene. Dan Lanning has received a contract extension from the University of Oregon, according to our own John Canzano. So, John, not here doing the show. Doesn't have to be. To be breaking big ducks news, and uh, he's doing a little kids camp on the side. Then when he has a moment, oh nothing, just reporting a contract extension for Dan Landing at Oregon. I, I can't. I, why am I surprised? Talk about a full day right there. He can do it all. Why am I surprised at all? Are you surprised that Dan Landing got the extension? Now we should just say it's through 2028. I'm not entirely sure how many more years additional that is to his previous deal. I want to assume it's just one. Um, You know, he came on in December of 2021, right? So 2022 was his first full year on the job. And 
I imagine that got him through the 27 season. So just basically tacking on another year, but probably bumping up his salary. Kanzano's reporting that this extension will get Lanning from a salary standpoint between 15 and 20 in the country. So I'm sure that has uh, some of it to do as well. Steven, are you at all surprised this kind of reward comes for Dan Lanning before year two begins? Uh, not really. Uh, you look at the recruiting that he's had. I mean, you look at the 2024 recruiting. He's 12th right now in Oregon. And I think that's that's the main part right now is he's a young guy that can recruit and get the talent in. Secondarily, can he coach? That's still to remain to be seen. But he has the first and I think the most important part being able to get the talent in. And I think, you know, being so young, there's still room to grow. You know, the fact that Oregon's lost coaches, you know, with Willie Taggart and Mario Cristobal, they sign him and lock him up. But this guy, you know, at this age, it seems to love Eugene. Dan Landon does. He says all the right things all the time about Eugene. And now I think it proves like, yeah, I actually want to stay in Eugene for a long time. So, no, I'm not necessarily shocked by it because he has done a lot of right things in Eugene so far. Now he has to go out and prove I can coach on the field. I can coach with X and O's. I can improve the defense, which was very poor last season. But he has a lot of it down, and I think you know I think it's a good move by the Ducks to lock him in. Not many guys can lose your three biggest games of the season, and including get... the, including blowing the rivalry game up by what twenty something. <laughs> they had a twenty-one point lead, and uh, and then getting the contract extension, over. and then getting the contract extension. But you know they did have an eight-game win streak. They did win the bowl game for whatever that's worth, and they're primed for big things this year. Picked fourth in the media preseason poll, which would you put him above Utah? I would have put him above Utah. I had about third. And Utah fourth? Yeah. Yeah. You know, Utah got more first-place votes than Washington. Utah got six, and UW got four, but UW got way more Second place votes than Utah. Yeah, that's I, interesting to me. I mean, it's you, like you either believe Utah or you don't. That's yeah, kind of where it's at. And it kind of is. It's like either you're going to get first or they're going to get you know fourth yeah. or fifth. Or the fact that they just won back to back means you, you feel like you owe it to them to pick them first. Yeah, it's kind of like what Cam Ward said. You know, to, to beat him, to be the champ, you got to beat them. You, 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 you can't you can't talk unless you beat that team. So yeah. no one can beat you know Utah at the Pac-12 title game. So you can keep talking their talk. So Dan Lanning gets the extension through. What do you think about the Lanning extension? Is, it, is he is it a little early to give him one? I don't think so, only because um, I'm with you. I think the recruiting is really what you're buying into here and that that's sustainable. I also think you've just had two coaches obviously bounce. Lanning is, doesn't have the job that Mario had in Miami and that Willie, Slick Willie, had at FSU. <laughs> but... You still kind of want to show them that we're not messing around. We want you here for the long haul. We know you lost to your biggest rivals last year, and you got embarrassed in your first game. We're still putting our faith in you. Here's an extension and a pay raise. So I think I get it all the way around. But like I said, you lose to your three biggest games of the year. You come out and get extended on the other side. Good for you. And I think he's he's going to win. He's going to win big in Eugene. We'll see if it's in 2023. We'll do it again tomorrow. Thanks for joining. Newbie and for Kazano, this is the Bald Face Truth.